Radio Mano Papachango. the fuck people back with another episode of tangentially speaking today's guest is jamie kilstein interesting cat at an interesting moment on his journey of life he is a stand-up comic a writer a radio host he is i think in his mid-30s and he's you know saturn is returning for this motherfucker as they say uh he's going through changes he you know, he like he's prominent. He was on Conan and uh, I don't know, a bunch of, you know, where, you know, prominent comics go. And uh, then he sort of got into political commentary and became a presence on MSNBC, had a radio show uh, that, as we learn in this episode, was uh, supported by Robin Williams behind the scenes. Pretty cool. Uh, and Jamie sort of migrated into the world of mm, left-wing certainty and uh, became a bit of a social justice warrior and, you know, calling out people for being insufficiently pure and all that kind of stuff. And, um he had a his radio show took off and was doing quite well, but it was sort of a my understanding from what he said is that it was sort of a place where you know those people those voices were concentrated, and he drank the Kool Aid and he <clears throat> sort of became one of these people who go online and roll their eyes a lot about how dumb everyone else is and attack people for you know not being the perfect. Uh, individuals that everyone is pretending they are, but nobody really is. And uh, as they say, when you ride the tiger, sometimes you end up inside the tiger, which kind of happened with Jamie. He ended up getting embroiled in some controversy about uh, his sexual behavior and his um, interactions with some of the women that he met. And uh, everything came crashing down. And so he's reevaluating his life, reevaluating, looking back at the path that he's been on and, and um, picking up the pieces and, and uh, putting shit back together. He's going through a rebirth and some of the experience of being born again is uh, painful and messy, just like it was the first time. Lots of blood and mucus involved. So, uh, but it's worthwhile, you know, all that blood and mucus. I think mucus makes the world go around when you get right down to it. Uh, anyway, Jamie Kilstein, this is a interesting conversation. You might find parts of it disturbing, offensive, uh, you know, a couple of white guys talking about women and minorities and, you know, shooting our mouths off as we tend to do. And, uh, so I hope you'll forgive us our ignorance and not attack us too brutally in social media, which is a funny thing, you know? Well, we talk about that on the podcast, so I won't talk about it here. News. Uh, what news? Speaking of rebirth, dear sweet Casilda is back from Peru. Uh, 
I call her Cassie 2.0. She's a different person. She's, um, I don't know. She used to eat like a stick of butter a day. Now she doesn't want any butter. It's, it's, uh, there are more substantial changes, but that's a pretty noticeable one. Uh, we'll do a podcast at some point talking about some of her experiences down there. She uh, got to have some pretty uh, up close and personal views of shamans and the world of the Shipibo people and um, plant medicines and uh, some of the people who came down to um, have these experiences. And so if you're interested in plant medicines and a lot of what's going on in Peru and Costa Rica and other Brazil, other parts of the world, uh, you might want to check that out. So that'll be in the next uh, couple of weeks. And uh, what else? I've been thinking about the Patreon thing. I think what I'm going to do is all the Tomas and Romas from now on are going to be for Patreon contributors, because uh, I'm just going to do the music together with those as I always have, rather than make a whole separate subgenre that's you know just music. Uh, I'll continue doing the world music and uh, different uh, thematic stuff, um, but I'll do it on the Patreon feed rather than this feed. So if you're a Patreon contributor at whatever level, whether it's a buck a month or 250 bucks a month, you'll have access to that. And I uh, got about 800 people signed up for the Atreon, uh, Patreon thing now, which is really fantastic, uh, given the fact that there are probably 40 or 50,000 people who listen to the podcast regularly. Um, that's not a lot, right? That's one out of every, let's say, 50, which is, uh, what, 2%? So if you if you can afford it, and um, you have a credit card, it would be great if you would uh, throw something into the pot. Uh, it, it's not only helpful for my ego, makes me feel like this is worthwhile to you, um, but it's also helpful because, as I've mentioned before, at least 10% of what I pick up from Patreon goes to different charities and uh, specifically directly to homeless people that I run into here in Los Angeles. And so your money is not only going to me, it's going onward. I pay it forward. And uh, another way I'd like to pay it forward, which will require, you know, making, having some serious money coming in that way is I want to hire more people uh, to do things uh, from the community. So for example, right now I've got a guy, Nate of the North up there in Fairbanks, shout out to Nate in a cabin somewhere in Alaska. He sends me pictures of the Northern lights occasionally and tells me how he has to go out and chop wood and it's 25 below. But anyway, he does the show notes. So if you've seen the show notes on my web page, uh, he gets to them when he has a chance and the great, Isaiah Gooley has been doing some uh, social media stuff, throwing up links to episodes from the archives, helping out with that, which is fantastic. I'd like to hire someone to do audio editing, not of the episodes so much, but to put together like best of episodes because, you know, Duncan and I, for example, have probably done, I don't know, 20 hours or something just on this podcast, not to mention his and, and Joe Rogan's. Uh, and it would be really cool if somebody would listen to those, go through them, pick the most powerful 
moments and put them together in a sort of best of episode. Uh, you know, and you could do that with Duncan, with Stanley, with Cassie, with, you know, various people that I've had on uh, repeatedly, or there could be thematic episodes where, you know, here, you know, this is me and various people talking about politics or sexuality or, you know, this particular drug or, you know, legal things, whatever. Um, so, but I want to, and I know I'm going to get a bunch of emails from people volunteering to do this, and that's fantastic. Uh, every time I mention something like this, I, I get a bunch of emails from people offering their time, and that makes me feel incredibly grateful, but I'd like to pay you. You know, I, I, I know that people have their own bills to pay, and um, they're taking care of other people in their lives, and so... Uh, if we can get this thing generating significant uh, cash flow, I'd like to have some of it flow back into the community because that's what this is all about. So uh, if, you know, sorry to harp on money, I try not to, and I'm sure I do it a lot less than most people, but uh, that's why. That's why I do it, because uh, I want it to flow in lots of different directions. Okay, and another way you can support the podcast is through the Amazon affiliate link on my webpage, tangentiallyspeaking.com. You'll see it there in the right margin. Click on that, bookmark it, and use that. And uh, about 4 to 6% of what you spend on Amazon gets kicked back into the coffers. It's not used for the podcast. Amazon does not support this podcast. That money, as I've mentioned before, goes into my Coke and Hooker fund. And, uh, you know, got to have some cash for the vices. All right. I think that's about it. This episode with Jamie Kilstein. It was just recorded a few days ago. This is fresh out of the oven. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy it. I'm going to play you out with a tune called... Long Black Shadow by Alex Beraldo. Beraldo. Alex Beraldo. Um, you can find his music on iTunes, I believe. But I know for sure that you can find his music at alexberaldo.bandcamp.com. That's Alex, A-L-E-X, Beraldo, B-E-R-A-L-D-O, dot bandcamp.com. Calm. And this song, I mean, this song sort of, I would say, relates a little bit to today's guest, uh, who was young and dumb. It relates to today's host, myself, who was young and dumb. And it probably relates to some of you who are young and dumb as well or were in the past. Young is the time to be dumb, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's when you get old and dumb that things become a little sad and tragic. So get your dumb out of the way when you're young and then you won't have to deal with it later. That's my advice. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Hope you're having a good time out there. Catch you next time. I was young. When I first met you And when you're young, you're dumb And reckless too And things got bad 
long overdue And that long black shadow Will get the better of you I had a friend And he was cool Back in school Well he was pretty damn cool he lost his mind Oh, they said it was the shrooms And that long black shadow Get the better of you Twenty fifteen that summer flew up his nose and the winter too and when the sun comes up it always feels too soon and that long black shadow get the better of you I first met her in a basement saloon Well, she was everything I needed How I did swoon And I've been a wreck now for 26 moons In that long black shadow Get the better of you Another couple few well, Me and my friends All know it's true And that long black shadow Get the better of you And that long black shadow Get the better of you Welcome to KCPR, Topanga, California. I'm here with Jamie Kilstein, who I just met about six minutes ago. Six minutes ago. Six, it was, and at least like three of those minutes, I was too distracted with the cat wandering around. And, and you were pissing in one of them. And then so, I was pissing for another minute. Uh, so about four minutes. Yep. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best four minutes of my life, but pretty close, we'll Jamie. Get there. We're, we'll get we're, there. We're going to get there. All right, good. Uh, so... That's how the fuck did they we're, we're going to co-release this. So I don't know why I'm acting all hosty. Here. No, I don't know. No, I like because it's your house. Oh, uh, that must be it. No, no, yeah. no you be hosty. I, I, <laughs> I like co-releasing it. I feel like 
enough of what I want to ask you. Like I'm filled with fucking baggage, uh, especially relationship baggage, which I've, I, I never got to talk about that stuff on my old show. So I feel like, um, if I didn't release it on my feed, I would have just spent the whole episode like recap it. Like I want this show to be like half whatever you want to ask me and half you telling me how I should pursue my next relationship. <laughs> Uh, how did I become a relationship guru? I, yeah. I did not, I, I didn't see that coming. Well, what's funny is I only, nor did any of my ex-girlfriends. No, dude, I only started <laughs> reading your book recently because I was told by feminists that I wasn't supposed to read it. Uh, and so I was, I did what all, uh, lots of progressive lefties do, which is you're told that guy's bad and you go, my phone, fuck that guy. I'm not right. going to look into it. And then I started listening to your podcast and I was like, Oh, you're really progressive and smart and funny. And, uh, I started reading the book. It's excellent. My, my only question for you besides fix my sex life and love life. Cause people think I'm a predator is, um, why did feminists hate you? Well, was that like a big thing or was that just in no, like my small circle? No, I, I think that's a subset of feminists because um, a lot of feminists sort of have sold the book for me. I well, mean, I was, it, it's hugely popular in Portland. That's kind of what I was thinking. I love that Portland is like the equivalent of like, I have a black friend, like people in Portland like me. Well, I lived in Portland for two years. Yeah. And so I used to go down to um, Powell's, you know, this big independent yeah, bookstore yeah, yeah. in Portland. And they had it up as, you know, a staff pick for five years. It was, right. And they were pushing it, selling well, it. seems it. like the book is arguing against a lot of, like, the fucking uptight feminist stereotypes. And well, like, yeah. I mean, I think that's those types of feminists probably get freaked by it a little bit. But, but I mean, using the word feminist is problematic. I think it is. Because uh, we can be talking about so many different types of people. When I think of a feminist, I think of someone who says, uh, look, you know, women have the the right to access to all the resources that men have right to. Uh, women and men are different, but yeah. they're equal in value yeah. and in opportunity. There you go, guys. We're done. Two white guys just explained feminism to you. And now Stop let's move on to it. racism. Yeah. No, you but, black uh, but, people and you're complaining. <laughs> but no, I think it's the same. I, I well, just dude, did a rant. Whole, like, yeah. And like the liberal thing uh, in the liberal circle, that was the big thing with sex workers. It's like, well, these feminists said sex work is not feminist. And then these feminists say sex work is very feminist. And it's like, right. isn't the feminist thing just to be like, uh, if a woman wants to be a fucking sex worker, let her be a sex worker. If she doesn't want to be, right. don't force her to be a sex worker right. and just let women like do what they want well th this is the thing I, I think we're finding this in lots of different areas right now and i just did this big rant about it uh on my podcast called tangentially speaking by the way yeah. what's the name of your podcast uh it's called fuck up pod with jamie kilstein fuck up pod yeah and are you getting that listed on itunes rebranding there are a lot of asterisks oh <laughs> asteri i got really excited about it because someone drew a logo for me and it was like i was mia i, I disappeared for a year and just came out of like being totally like suicidal and depressed and homeless and all this stuff. And, uh, someone, one, one of my like friends drew this great picture of me just like fucking face planted down with fuck up pod. And I was like, yeah, it might not get listed, but like I, I was just married to it and I posted <laughs> it right away and now I'm reconsidering it. Yeah. When I first started this podcast, one of the names I, I was, you know, I made a list of possible names for it. And one of them was 
uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, great. And, Perfect. And, and I looked it up and it's like, oh, somebody already took that name. Well, at least it's not a popular podcast. Damn it. Barack Obama, huh? Yeah. No, this well, you was always five get excited about like the filthy ones that make you laugh. Like, oh, yeah. fucking cum dumpsters with Jamie Kilstein. And then you're just like, that's it's not. I, I want on my Patreon, like people list, uh, you know, like you name your tears. Yeah. And I wanted mine to all be like cuck, like super cuck, like cuck mega. And then I'm like, why am I doing that? And it's because it makes me giggle, yeah. not because it's good marketing. Minor, minor giggle provokers. I One of them is, I forget what the, I mean, they're like, uh, I'll name my kids after you unless you have a weird name like Chad. <laughs> Uh, or, yeah, or, or, or Dolores and then the next level is okay I'll name my kid after you even if you're Chad or Dolores that's funny and then there's one where like I'll shout out your name next time I have an orgasm perfect unless it's Chad, Chad or Dolores <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's so good um uh so okay so rant. so I went on a rant and I think this is a really important point and and I want to circle back to why you've been in hibernation for a year and get you know set the background and all that yeah um but this this will feed into it I I think there's Uh, A distinction being lost in the conversation in America around a lot of things, around politics, around sexual politics and all this kind of stuff. Um, The difference between justice and vengeance. Yeah. And I think that's particularly lost in America because our criminal justice uh, system is basically a vengeance system. We're not trying to create a world in which these crimes don't happen we're trying to punish people for having committed these crimes right there's nothing about rehabilitation when if a prisoner is released they can't get a a a, a job there's no recovery programs there you know uh making like pennies uh to do fucking slave labor that yeah it's half the states in the country don't even have a program for reimbursing people who've been in prison um, by mistake. Right. You leave more fuck than you were. Well, you've been in for 20 years and the state owes you nothing. Right. How is that justice? Yeah. You've okay. been in for 20 years for something you didn't do. I had a guy in this podcast who was in for 27 years Jesus. for killing his mother, which he didn't do. He was Ugh. framed by the detective, finally proved it 27 years later. That detective is still drawing a fucking pension. Jesus. So also, where's justice? Good for your friend, because if I got out after 27 years and I couldn't get a job and I was framed for killing my mother, I'd be like, I guess I'm going to fucking go kill that cop's mother. I did the time. Like, <laughs> But I mean, seriously, though, people do go back. They come out and they can't get a job. And it's yeah. like, well, I can fucking sell drugs. What do I know how I to do? How to do that. Right. Who, are, Where, my, who like, are my contacts? Yeah. Let alone yeah. if we start talking about like the death penalty. It's like, oh, really? This is for rehabilitation? That's what we're actually trying to do? Uh, and it's not. We're the only westernized country, I believe, that still has the fucking death penalty. Yeah. Um, anyway. So uh, getting back to why some feminists don't like the book, I I found, and I don't know if they're feminists per se, but uh, there we'll are people. some people, who, uh, women in particular, who are just incensed at the idea that women have sex because they like it. Which seems like such a feminist statement. I know. That's that's how we took it. And right. it's how we, I mean, you know, the book isn't a philosophical thing. It's reporting on what we see as a scientific argument. Right. Uh, it was co-authored with my wife, Casilda. And um, so we were surprised that, that some people, there's a woman, I think it's a woman who wrote um, a book length refutation Whoa. called Sex at Dusk. Clever title. Nice. That sounds like fanfic of your book. Well, it's kind of, you know, angry fanfic. Okay. Got it. Um, and it's self-published and it's under a f- assumed name, uh, pseudonym, sure. which is weird. Yeah. 
because like like why hide like who well, especially if you're just refuting it with like data or yeah you know, yeah, yeah that's bizarre what so, if it was just your wife when she was mad at you one day? She's like, I'll fucking show him. I'm going to write a 300-page book just to fuck him <laughs> and me. really tipsy and yeah. he starts banging it out. And another thing, you don't put the toothpaste away. You're just like, this is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So let's let's get into your, your sure. uh, thing here. So you're, I, I, you sent me an email. I saw you on Rogan. I, I watched I think, some of I your saw YouTube stuff. I saw you on Rogan as well, yeah. Joe, good old Joe. Joe. He's a connection maker. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Joe Rogan. He's uh, he, he said last time I was on, I, I was talking about how his audience is different from like my audience. They all pretty much like me, or yeah. they wouldn't be listening. But he's got these different sort of conflicting groups of people who oh, like him. Uh-huh. So his comment pages are just bizarre. Yeah. Because. You know, half the people are like, that's the greatest ever. And the other are like, that guy's a fucking cuck I'll asshole. I'll kill you, beta. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Jesus. It's I didn't like, know what. Uh, not that this go around. Uh, the last one I did with Joe was great. But the one like five years ago when we were uh, when it got a bit contentious, um, I believe afterwards it was the first time. Joe's always been ahead of the curb. It was the first time I heard cuck, snowflake, like beta fag, uh, probably social justice warrior like five years mm. ago, which at first I you hear that and you just go, thank you. Like yeah. you think you're righteous and like it sounds like a compliment. It's not a compliment, you guys. Um, but yeah, those were and then half warrior. Oh my God. Right. It sounds great. Injustice. I know. Um, but it's vengeance. That's that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Vengeance is where you want to push other people people and and punish them and so much of feminism now as it's being you know depicted anyway is about hurting people i think that's not about creating a just world yeah and i don't know if it's just feminism or my the brand of progressivism that i had which you know i mean here's the thing when you hear someone is an extreme feminist or an extreme um whatever it doesn't sound like a bad thing right if you were like that guy's really extreme and being anti-homophobic or anti-racist you'd be like oh that's good you're being extreme at a good thing right right? that's why i always fucking hated when people were like the right and left are you know uh the extreme right and the extreme left are different or are, are pretty much the same because it was like well you never see like you know, mass shootings where people are like, uh, give us universal health care or right. this is for Bernie or whatever. Um, I mean, you had that one like mentally ill guy who like liked the Bernie Sanders fan page, whatever the fuck that was. But like we are for the most part declaring wars and bankrupting cities and, you know, the Democrats have become more right and more centrist for sure. But the extreme left, the extreme left, quote unquote, I always thought just wanted, you know, free health care, free education, uh, equal rights for everybody. Like, so I was like, fuck you. That's not extreme. Whereas the extreme right, you know, would burn down the Planned Parenthoods. So I never got that. But I think when it comes to like rhetoric or online rhetoric or whatever, the extreme left I, when I was doing it, I was just fucking depressed. I was in a loveless marriage and I would sit on Twitter 
and I would look at what's trending and I would be like, who fucked up today? Mm. Who said the wrong thing? What book are we mad at? Did Jonathan Chait write something? And you would just try to come up with a funny tweet and just add on to the pylon, essentially. And if that guy got fired, if that guy got whatever, you were like, great, I win. Just like it was a video game. It was a lot of fucking projection um, because progressives or the extreme feminists or whatever you want to call it, um, we a lot of times aren't as vulnerable as my old crew, which is comics, and we're very self-righteous, and we don't talk about how we fuck up, so we sort of project that stuff on other people. You know, a lot of the people who came after me, and I promise I'm not stalling, I am a little, uh, I don't get into it, but a lot of the people who came after me had been called sexist before, so they get to look really good taking down me, who's like not a threat, right? Um, There's a really famous comic who came after me after I went on Rogan's show, Hard. Never met the guy. Never had a problem with him. Was a fan of his. Came after me so hard on Twitter. Um, sent all of his fans after me because of him. Like there are comics who think I was like accused of like sexual assault, and uh, I was like, why would this fucking guy do this? Why would he ruin this like pathetic uh, guy's career? And the reason was that day. Well, he's been called a sexist. You know, Jezebel's written about him too. But also that day was the day everyone was coming out and distancing themselves from Louis. And he didn't want to distance himself from Louie. He didn't do that. He was just going after me all day for going uh, on Joe's show. So you were like a stand-in. My assumption is, yeah, because I'm fucking harmless and we can have no power. And you can still look like you're a social justice warrior and you're taking down sexists. Even though half the people are probably like, who the fuck is Jamie Kilstein? Um, and he went after me with just the rage of a thousand sons. It was so really? bizarre. Dude, it was like he was avenging his slain family. I was yeah. just like, what did I do to you? Wow. Um, and yeah, so in short, what happened to me, um, I talked about this on Joe's show. I, I, I want to kind of open up more with you, I think, because we're on couches, but also because uh, uh, just the, the sex stuff and the relationship stuff I've never really talked about. Um, but essentially, I was with a, I, I was with a girl for um, two years. Um, my wife and I tried to have an open relationship after we kind of stalemated out. Um, it was one of those, like, it wasn't a healthy open relationship. It was, um, it was like, don't ask, don't tell. Cause it would essentially just be like me fucking. And like, that still feels creepy. Um, when it's so don't ask, don't tell. And we didn't tell our uh, podcast audience for a really long time. Oh, you guys did a podcast together. We had the podcast together. So it was both of ours and we were married and had this show together. Was she a comic as well? No, she, um, became a writer. She became a journalist through the podcast. Yeah. Um, it did great work. Like started writing for the nation and you know, it was like the first journalist down to like occupy who like treated it seriously. And, um, that's when our audience started going more from comedy to like kind of very progressive. Oh, um, and so we tried this open relationship and, but it was like filled with like shame. Like if you can't tell your partner, you don't even know if your partner is really cool with it, but it's like a necessity, which it was for us. It, I, you still feel like you're cheating. Um, and I think that's the thing I really want to overcome uh, through this time with you is I like I do want to learn more about it because, yeah, I, I remember feeling like I was cheating, hiding text messages. And this was supposed to be an, like when people hear you're in an open relationship, they think you're in a fucking sexy key party, whatever. Uh, and it's like, no, I was in the least sexy open relationship possible 
Plus, you can't get pussy. When you're at bars and someone goes, do you have a girlfriend? And you go, oh, I'm in a secret open relationship. Like, that sounds like bullshit. That sounds like a total fucking lie. <laughs> I'm in a secret. We can fuck, but don't tell anyone. But I swear my wife's cool with it. Like, right. oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I have a fucking <laughs> wedding ring tattooed on me. Um, I don't want to get rid of it either because it's a penguin and it's adorable. So I think I might just get other little animals for each finger. I don't know. Um, it's a mess. And wait, why a penguin? Uh, well, it, people think it was cause of the monogamous thing. Um, but she had like a monkey tattoo, uh-huh. which, you know, I mean, they fuck everything and throw their shit. Maybe it was accurate. Uh, but it was just, those were just like our little like pet names for each other. There's, we actually write about March of the Penguins and sex at dawn. Do you, yeah. have you heard the Stuart Lee bit about it? Uh-huh. Oh my God. Where he, he talks about, um, why there isn't, um, He's like, he wants to see something called March of the Mallards because Mallards are the only species that reproduce by, I think it's like necrophile. They'll fuck dead. Gang rape. Yeah. 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 And then he just does this whole thing about Morgan Freeman narrating like, (laughs) look at those Mallards (laughs) fucking their dead relatives. And it's so good. He's one of the most underrated comics in America, but in the UK, he's he's amazing. Um, Well, it turns out penguins aren't monogamous. They aren't. No. There, those are emperor penguins that are featured in that film, right? Uh, but they're only monogamous for each breeding season. And they live, I think it's like into their late 20s. Uh, and they're sexually mature really? at seven or eight. So they have 15 or 20 different sexual partners in their life. Whoa. Can we write a documentary, March of the Slutty Penguins? And it's just like a combination. <laughs> Of like the New York City Halloween Parade and yeah. uh, that movie that would be amazing. Leather uh, leather clad oh penguins. Oh my god, that'd be the best. Yeah, it's um, but it's crazy. Like I would call myself, you know, progressive, and I was raised not religiously. Um, you know, I mean, I was like everybody where I found out about sex, like you know, health classes. I feel like health classes should just teach you how to fuck like instead of like showing like uh just diagrams of like what the inside of a penis looks yeah Yeah, totally or like abstinence we're just these like pent-up balls of cum and like dude the first time i jerked off i literally was like i'm broken and i'm leaking and i like (laughs) ran to the toilet and i was trying to like finger fuck come back and i thought i had to put it back inside i was just like what's happening and like i had no idea but if somebody told me like no dude like orgasms are good you're gonna have sex one day it's gonna feel good but if anyone tells you that it's a kid they're a fucking pedophile um and so i just knew nothing about America. yeah yeah but i knew nothing about sex and so i still have especially with what happened now such shame about just like wanting sex or being uh sexual and especially after um you know this whole experience so i'm in this open relationship and i start sleeping around on the road and uh you know, I'm not good at it. And you're doing stand-up. I'm doing stand-up. Yeah. And like, by, by now, my audience, I'm not doing stand-up clubs. By now, my audience is just super niche progressive. Um, I don't work comedy clubs. I just have uh, this kind of bubble. Of so your comedy migrated from sort of more mainstream comedy well, it clubs. It was always political. More... I mean, if you watch my TV set, like I talked about drones on Conan. I have not been invited back. Um, I talked about, you know, I was always talking about like religion and uh, gay rights and, you know, everything like that. So it was always political, but it was filthy. And I wasn't worried if I like offended people. Hmm. And then as the show got more progressive, I definitely started to sort of self-censor a bit and we would get complaints about, you know, 
I mean, I said this on Joe's show, but it's just the best example I have where somebody wrote in, I called a transphobic guy an idiot, and someone wrote in and was like, uh, we appreciate you defending the trans community, but the word idiot is ableist. Right. And you just go, oh, fuck, man. Like, you just can't win. Um, and this goes back to those, like, liberal, uh, I mean, just those Twitter activists in general, any political party, where it's like they have to be out offended or they have yeah. to sort of just look for the new thing right. to be upset about. Right. And so it was like, you're defending trans people, but you use this ableist word or mm. you're defending like, um, you know, somebody in a wheelchair. Well, what if they were, uh, what, there's a trans person in a wheelchair somewhere and you're like, I just, I'm just trying to be my best man. I'm yeah. just trying to be good. And we sort of, I, I lost track of being funny and I just sort of, cause I dropped out of high school and I was nervous about hanging out with smart people and going mm. on MSNBC and what I was good at was being funny and sort of as that got neutered and neutered and neutered, I just sort of started shutting up. And if someone told me I said something offensive, I just was like, yeah, you're probably right. Cause I'm dumb. And like, mm. you know, I didn't have the confidence to sort of right. uh, defend myself. So I started doing the audience or the, the show more around progressive issues and you know, it was great. It was the first time I was making a really good living. Um, I could go into an audience and like, I mean, I don't know, it is kind of cool going into a stand up room and being able to like drop bell hooks as a reference or talk about vegan stuff. And everyone's like, woo. Um, and, but and I started becoming more and more afraid uh, to go to clubs because I assumed I would bomb and my writing just became really niche and, and, and bland, I think. And while you were going through this transition, did you did you feel like, hey, this is great? Or did you feel like I'm sort of selling out something? Half and half. Where, again, it's hard to feel like you're selling out on the extreme left, right? I was like, I guess I'm just being better towards women or better towards gay people or better towards black. Like, that all seems good. You don't think about the fact that a lot of times it's more harmful. Like I would argue and a lot of people uh, would get upset with me for saying this, but I would argue that when you start calling fights with your partner, mental abuse, when you start calling um, a relationship that failed, even though you both tried manipulative, when you start calling, asking somebody out on a date, um, them saying no and you saying sorry, workplace harassment, I would argue that that's fucking insulting to women who are really abused and really, uh, you know, having their jobs threatened for sex and uh, actual assault. And so I think a lot of this overreaching on the left is actually counterproductive to what we think we True. want to accomplish, right? right? Um, and again, it's just to be the fucking hipsters of the left. It's Which, just, by the way, fits into the framework of justice versus vengeance again. A hundred percent. And that's why I, that when I had that epiphany, I th you know, I was thinking of Mel Nelson Mandela and yeah. Martin Luther King and all these people. That, oh, they all would be getting me too right now, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and what they were interested in was not vengeance. They were interested in justice. Right. right. Martin Luther King was never about, you know, we're going to rise up and, you know, enslave Whitey. No, that's right. that. You know, where's that going to go? That's on that. That's on his like bootleg album. <laughs> just, that that like, was more like, you know, Malcolm X. And he wasn't about enslaving Whitey, but he was about, you know, we're going to be separate and fuck those white people. Yeah. White and devils. I mean, you know, there's there's a time and place for like. For I think both of those voices together at that time were 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 good. Um, but you're right. There's just there's a tone difference between like Weinstein and Aziz, right? Like um, that. I, I'm sorry. I don't see how Aziz did 
anything wrong. Yeah. Anything. If I were Aziz, I uh, would not be getting laid because people think I'm a predator. But if I were Aziz in that situation, because I'm so fucking self-conscious, I would have called it a little earlier, you know, once she kind of like... So I think they started going down on each other and then she shut it down and then he kind of like went with that and then he went for it again and then she was into it and then she shut it down. By that second one, like my sort of like rule of thumb is like girl moves my hand from uh, pants then girl, unless that's like her thing, like if it, this is like a first date hookup or whatever, then uh, I will wait for the girl to put my hand back on pants. I'm like, cool. In your court, right. we'll keep making out fucking whatever. It sounded like Aziz has his routine of like women want to fuck him because he's a famous dude. And this is his routine. Once they go back to the place, they fuck, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was kind of going through like the motions, you know, yeah. the sort of like factory farm of Aziz one night stands. It's just like <laughs> all conveyor belted out. <laughs> and, uh, and and then she, yeah. uh, you know, changed her mind or wasn't into it. I mean, it seemed like she was pursuing him pretty hard. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I would have called it a little earlier, but like, fuck, man, to put him on a list with Weinstein and like just to be like another name and just the word sexual misconduct like that comes up when you Google me. Yeah. That makes it sound like I was accused of sexually someone. inappropriate behavior. Inappropriate is a word that can suck my dick. Yeah. I, every time I hear the word inappropriate, I just want to smack somebody. It's horrible. It's, it's bullshit. Inappropriate according to who? Right. Right. Your idea of inappropriate. I don't know if you know this about me, but I've lived most of my life in Spain. I've yeah, only been yeah, here yeah, like a year. I, I've been catching up on the podcast. So this is like a episodes. foreign country to me. All this shit. Like, right. I mean, I'm used to Spain where, you know, women just a bunch of slutty penguins. Well, they're beautiful. I mean, the women are beautiful and they're happy to be beautiful and they're happy that you look at them and they're happy. Even if you say something, as long as it's nice. Right. You know, not, hey, bitch, I'm going to fuck you. But if you right. say like. Well, that's why you, I got in trouble. I would always say, <laughs> yeah, hey, bitch. <laughs> How do you say that in Spanish? Yeah. It was that um, sexy, I bet. But no, if it's, you just say, man, you look great. Like, it's like, oh, thank you. You know, it's right. like no problem. There's no, there's no in, implied oh insult. Or, Jesus, I don't make eye contact with women anymore. Yeah. Um, I, 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 get, I hate Mike Pence more than anything. He, to me, is scarier than Trump because like Trump will like do evil shit, but it's just to be liked. He's like, you guys want to build a wall? Will you vote for me? But <laughs> Pence is like, you know, you want me to like kill all the whores and send him to hell because Jesus told me to. He's like a far scarier guy, right? But at the same time, when there was all that outrage and he was like, I don't even want to sit with women that aren't my wife. I was like, what a fucking prude piece of shit. And then that shit happened to me and I was like, I get that. I totally get that. I don't want to. I want like consent forms and camera crews. And so anyway, so um, yeah, so what happened to me just because your poor audience were like alluding to it and then uh, digressing a lot. Um, Tangentially speaking, yeah, bitches. Yeah, the name of the show. You can't complain. Um, and mine's called Fuck Up Pod. So that also fits. We're fitting both of our Perfect. narratives. Um, so then, yeah, I mean, in short, uh, this this girl that this two-year affair happened with and, um, you know, I have to be really careful. I, I've really been trying to high road this whole thing mm. and like not saying things that were very much left out of this Jezebel article. Um, but let, let's say everything in the article is true and the Jezebel article is true. Um, pretty much it came down to three things. One was um, this relationship I had with this woman who uh, 
she did work for the uh, show. She came to the show uh, wanting a job, made a job for her. Um, this happened. It continued a year after she left the show. I mean, it was a we were in love relationship thing. And um, it was fucking with the marriage. And I, I was afraid that the. The, the, the show would suffer and I didn't want to lose the show. I think I stayed, I think we both probably stayed in the relationship for a really long time because of the show. I mean, we had a hardcore audience of people who would write us who were suicidal or who were, you know, got sober because of us or who um, became political for the first time or left their house because their, their parents were bigots and are like thriving now. And like, you know, it was a really cool audience and I lost a lot of them, uh, which breaks my heart, but it was a cool audience. And so I think, you know, like people stay for the kid. It's like we stayed for the podcast probably. Um, and so so every time I went to sort of break up with this woman, she would uh, get very up- upset. Um, and finally we broke it off. And three years later, the podcast starts getting emails um, that I w- behaved in uh, non-feminist ways. Because at this point, I was just being called like I was like a token male feminist guy. I always thought the term male feminist was fucking creepy. I remember I played at college once. And she was like, how do you want me to introduce you? And I was like, just say I was on Conan. Um, and she goes, uh, she goes, this next performer has been on Conan and is a male feminist. And just hearing someone say that into a microphone makes it sound like I am a predator. Like that was the first time I felt like, Ugh, like that sounds like I like drive around in a fucking male feminist van. Like, mm. like, hey, girls, you want to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and my dick? <laughs> like, it was just so creepy. It was so fucking creepy. And uh, but I was labeled that. And, and again, I was like, well, feminist is good. Right. So fuck it. Um. And so we started getting these emails and essentially somebody put out a call with the, the many women that I slept with on the road who has been wronged by Jamie Kilstein and they found two people and, uh, there was this girl and then another one never met her. I'm the only comic I've never sent a dick pic. My dick doesn't exist on the internet. Um, we were flirting on DM, uh, on Twitter and she, uh, you know, in the article, again, the article that if it is 100% true, which it is not, um, but uh, said that I flirted with her and she told me she had a boyfriend and I said, I'm sorry. And then I think we like talked again briefly, but again, nothing ever sexual or prodding or pressing so that was the second case a, a case of what i don't know but they call it accuser and in the fucking headline accuser. it says sexual misconduct and i, it says I haven't pre- read this article it says huh? predatory behavior so that so, was me being predatory. so you're flirting with someone yeah, correct she has a boyfriend you say i'm sorry you know, my bad yeah but be maybe because she's a fan of mine why the fuck is she flirting if she has predatory. a boyfriend well I, maybe she wasn't i could have oh, misread I see. it right I see. so you were just like hey you want to get together and she's correct. like i have a boyfriend you're like oh, oh i'm all sorry right. I read this wrong. Right. That and that is a crime in what jurisdiction? Uh, I don't know, man, but I uh, fucking deleted all my social media and lost everything. So, like, you know, the progressive jurisdiction, uh, the Jezebel Twitter mm. jurisdiction. Okay. Um, and then the third one, this is the craziest, which is uh, there's a girl. Listen to the show. So, I, again, I think they're saying it's predatory because they were fans. Because you were married at the time? 
Well, I was in an open relationship, so that's not Secretly even like. Open. But they didn't fucking say that either in <laughs> Jezebel. Uh, so they also made it seem like I was cheating this whole time. Right. Um. So we have a date, and uh, we hook up. Uh, it doesn't say this in the article, but I, I would like to say this. I, I I don't think it's bad, and I won't say anything that violates her privacy. But um, we started hooking up, and she was like, "Just so you know, I don't want to have sex." And so I go, "Great." Uh, I, Wait, go, I thought those were hooking up. No, 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 but I'm even, I, but it's fine. Like, right. I'm like, you just want to like make out like you're for whatever reason you're uncomfortable. I don't want to have sex with someone who doesn't want to have right. sex with me. Right? right. Um, and, uh, so we don't in the article, it makes it seem like we, we do, yeah. but we don't have sex. I go, even if you change your mind, you laid this out. Cool. I'm being the anti predator. <laughs> I'm being like my good feminist self. Um, and so we have a great night. We hook up. Everything's fine. She leaves. Get her a cab. Um, but what does hookup mean here? He's like make out. Make out. Take Kiss, some shirts off. Kissing, together, fondling. In the same bed. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, and you slept. All right. Yeah. So like she spent the night. She's, I, and you kids these days in your lingo. That's, I thought all this time I thought hooking up meant fucking. Listen to me. We ha- you have to start introducing me to your friends. <laughs> because <laughs> I even went to, I did a show at the comedy store the other night. And there were just all these like gorgeous flirty girls and i was like is this what i've been missing because i've only been going to fucking like noam chomsky book readings and like every girl seems mad at me here (laughs) so and dude i'm like Uh, so afraid to date right now imagine Uh, the world if noam chomsky had any charisma at all what a world it would be I mean, we'd, we'd all be living in paradise. It would be utopia. I know it'd be the best. I assigned a, 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 Chomsky essay to a kid I was teaching at university a long time ago. Yeah. And throughout his paper, this is like a five page paper, the kid referred to the author consistently as Norm Kromsky. <laughs> Dude, I tried to, so I interviewed him four times on my show, right? One of the times I was like, okay. Because the audience, we, I always wanted this show to be like half comedy, half politics, right? Right. Trying to get a laugh out of Norm? Are well, you? I not only could I not get a laugh out of Norm, I didn't even try a joke because I was like, that would just be, I can't bomb in front of Noam Chomsky, right? <laughs> like, no fucking way am I having that go down. But I was like, how cool would it be? We've had like relationship questions sent to us. Right. I was like, he's so brilliant. How great would it be to have him answer a question on like relationships? Because he's never done that. And then in my head, I go, dude, if he kills it, we could have like a segment called like relationship advice with Noam Chomsky. Right. Like that would be the greatest thing for a fucking podcast. Like we used to go ask uh, Noam. We had Bill Ayers on during the Sarah Palin thing when she said, you know, he was a terrorist palling around with terrorists. And so every Friday we had Bill Ayers come on the podcast and I called the segment palling around with Bill and he would just rant about whatever he wanted to rant about. And That's uh, great. dude, oh, the show could have been so good. Um, so anyway, so uh, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, the, oh no, the, Chomsky. the third girl that you're hooking up. The and third girl. That. Well, yeah. here's what happened just real quick. This is the most Noam Chomsky thing ever. I go, hey, last question. We were talking about a rant. He gave some terribly dismal and bleak answer, as he do. And uh, I go, hey, man, like, um, we thought it would be cool if if maybe you answered, like, a relationship audience about love yeah. from our audience. And he just so swiftly was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk about that. I won't. Mm. And I was just like, oh. That's the most gnome chomp. You had your chance, man, to like. How about a foot massage, gnome? <laughs> Come on, we got to loosen gnome up loosen a little that bit. Up, loosen that gnome. Yeah. So, okay, so the third girl. So we hook up, blah blah blah. 
everything was fine. In the Jezebel article, which if everything is true, and this woman also wrote a letter to another podcast, so I may be mixing the two up, but she said, um, and this is the article that accuses me of being a sexual predator, that we had a great night. She'd never felt safer. Um, It was the first time she trusted a man. This sounds like I should be using those blurbs on my Tinder profile. These sounds like great qualities. And then in the article, it says something like, um, but then weeks later, I heard him on his podcast, call me a road fuck. And I was like, and then it says in parentheses in the Jezebel article, Jezebel could not find this quote. It's like, right. You fucking army of like, just like disheveled vaginas. Like you can't find it because it doesn't exist. Cause I'm not talking about road pussy on my feminist podcast that I host with my fucking wife who I don't tell about road flings. Like that doesn't, I didn't, but let's say I did. Let's say we had a night and she felt safe and we didn't have sex. And she said it was the first time I trusted a man and she had this great night. Mm -hmm. And then let's say I go on my podcast and I go, man, I had this fucking great road fuck in Nashville. Let's say I had a shitty road fuck on Nashville. That's not predatory. It's me being a douchebag. Yeah. And that's not what a career should be ruined over. Maybe, maybe because I was like a feminist. Yeah. If I started like bashing some girls as road pussy, like I would lose some feminist cred, but, um, it shouldn't be the article that makes people think that makes me walk around. I mean, I didn't leave the house for weeks after this came out. I was walking around with like a hoodie. Like I literally felt like I would, the way I was being treated online and everything happened, like you feel like you're accused of rape. Like yeah. I, I walked around. How long ago was this? It was a year and I still meet, make new friends, guy friends or especially women. Um, and I feel like I have to sit them down like I am a registered pedophile yeah. and required by law where I hung out with some dude for the first time. And I was like, hey, man, like you should know, like before this friendship continues, it's, it's always so fucking emo and dramatic. <laughs> but I feel like I have to do like it. You have some sort of social herpes or something. Yeah, man. I mean, I was in like a social pretty media herpes. That's what it is. It's social media mm-hmm. herpes. A hundred percent. And I was in like a pretty rocky relationship um, this year. But she had my back really hard during all of this. She was with me when this happened. So you split up with your wife before this happened. Yeah, yeah. And I moved to LA. Thank God. Um, and from were you living in New Brooklyn? York? Yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course, I was living in Brooklyn. Sir. Just, just a wild, just guess. a wild guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this all happened when I was at the co-op. Why do you ask? Um, and uh, but yeah, so I moved, which is great because the only friends I had there were like progressive people. And nobody reached out to make sure I was dead. I disappeared. So want- what what happened? I mean, this one article comes out in Jezebel. Well, so what happened was, and again, I'm going to be delicate about this. What happened was we were still doing the show. We were getting complaints because, you know, this very small group was like making a buzz on Facebook. I go to my ex-wife. I go, hey, look, I'm out in L.A. I want to do more writing than comedy anyway. Why don't I just help out with the show behind the scenes? We can take my money, um, use that to pay a co-host, and I'll just step down from the show. I'm like, I don't know if this is my audience anymore. You're getting shit. And she was like, great. And then I think she got a lot of pressure. I don't know what happened, but we were getting along. And one day I go to the locker room um, after doing jujitsu. 
and my phone fucking is blowing up. And I guess she posted a thing on like her verified Facebook that was like, you know, Jamie has been accused of predatory and abusive behavior. Um, and that made it a real story because it was salacious. It's such a headline grabber. It's male feminist. Like we love that hypocrisy right. story. Like we love right. when the homophobes are like caught sucking dick. Right. right. Um, and uh, plus it was my wife. Um, who posted it. So, you know, there are probably like when you Google me, there are probably three or four articles. Most of them were just recaps. Jezebel was the only one that interviewed people. So she used that to explain why you were leaving the show. Yeah. After I left, like I left the show and it was like tear felt. And I was like, I hope I did good. You know, Um, on the show, I said, I was like, look, I've been an asshole, not predatory, but I was turning into an asshole. I was a self-righteous fucking asshole. I started, I thought, because I tweeted Black Lives Matter every day, I can ignore my friends and uh, ignore my fans. And I, I just started, I hated myself so much that I started to, you know, just be the 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 least famous diva you've ever met you know i don't mm. think i was ever mean to people but i didn't i was a narcissist i didn't think about other people's right. feelings i thought if i was depressed the whole world um needed to f- fix me i was the tortured one and um and when you're such a good quote unquote activist and ally online you feel like you can i don't know like that 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 made me feel like i'm a good person so mm. whereas now like i barely read the fucking news but it's the first time i've been like a good brother and a good son and like really like great to this last girlfriend i had like i'm very sorry it didn't you know like i i broke up with her um but like i tried really hard and i've just been trying to be more present and like off social media and all this stuff um but Sounds i'm like not- a really good experience it w- well, yeah, except I still walk into comedy clubs and be like, when I meet a, a girl and they look at me, I go, do you think I was, because you Google me and there are four things that says progressive podcaster outcast or ousted after sexual misconduct mm. or someone says sexual harassment. Like I was like, I don't know when I can sue every, like that's what happens when you Google me. If I'm going to go on a date, like ever since I broke up my girlfriend, like I haven't gotten laid. I haven't gone on a date. I was afraid to go on fucking Tinder um, just because, yeah, you Google me. It, it, I don't want someone to screenshot me on Tinder and be like, look, the fucking predator is. Because, dude, that section of the internet, um, there are people that were calling comedy clubs when my name would pop up. And they're like, here's the Jezebel article. He was accused of this. And because of the Louie thing, I had a manager say no to me mm-hmm. uh, after he wanted me, read the article, said, oh, this is bullshit. And I go, yeah, totally. Then the Louie thing broke. And he goes, we can't. Yeah. Because anything with sexual in your name right now, unless it was like sexual stallion, Jamie Kilstein, um, it's just people don't want to touch it. So as a person, great. Um, you know, I have zero dollars, which is very weird um, for the first time and a, a day job, which I, I luckily love um, for the first time in 20 years. Mm. That's a weird spot. You know, having a right. boss like you just fucking forget what that's right. like. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm living on my friend's couch, but I can a thousand percent say this is the best human being I've ever been. Mm. So it's like once the podcast happens, once I start getting stage time and all that stuff, I think in the long run, all of this will be good. I wish it didn't happen. I wish it could have happened because it's like, oh, I almost got in a plane crash and I survived and I learned to delete Twitter instead of I was called a sexual abuser, you know, like. Yeah, but in a way it, it makes you uh very relevant and, and i imagine you're working a lot of this into your stand-up routine i've been writing it i i, I haven't I, I think 
I'm playing the store tomorrow night. I think it's going to be the first time I try oh, wow. it. Nice. Um, just because it's, you know, people are, dude, I hang out with a lot of like very, very established, well-known liberal people. Yeah. And all of them are like, me too. We have to take down these predators. And then we go out to dinner and all of them, especially the women are like, yeah, look around. This is getting fucking crazy, right? And like a lot of people think it's getting fucking crazy. Right. Um, I had a woman who spoke at the woman's rally, uh, the, the big woman's march after the election, call me after this happened. I thought to berate me. And she was like, I'm so sorry. This makes my job harder to go after real abusers when like this is what's being called abuse. Yeah. But people don't want to talk about it. And I get it. It's I like think women people were sh- do want to talk about it, though. And that's why I say you... You know, there's you do jujitsu. Jujitsu is all about switching the energy, right? Yeah. Like you know, the reversal. That, yeah, that's yeah, the best thing you can do. And timing instead yeah. of just like force. I mean, I've never done jujitsu. I've done aikido, which yeah. is related yeah, in a lot sure. of ways. And you know, the the greater the energy coming at you, uh, if you're centered, yeah, right, which right. is keeping yourself centered. You can flip that and ride that wave right into the beach, man. You know what it is? And I haven't been able to phrase this yet, but I think what it is is because it's about sex. Because I was always the guy who I thought would do the righteous ballsy thing. I think in the UK, I was compared to Bill Hicks a couple too many times. And I was like, I'm going to burn it all down. Hmm. And, you know, like I said, like I went during the Obama administration when it wasn't, people didn't want to talk about it. Did an entire rant on Conan about drones and shit like that. And like kind of blew that opportunity. I said no to every high paying gig that would have involved a commercial. Um, Like I was that guy. I was Hmm. that guy who would like, Agents wouldn't know what to do because I was like, I just want to do stand up. I don't want to do fucking. I don't want to sell out. Um, all this stuff, and so I, I I like being that guy. I like being the guy who fights against these societal norms and and structures and hierarchies. With that said, people I respect have told me what you just told me, and it's like. I understand this is sort of the edgy thing to do right now and it's important, um, but it's also because it comes with this sort of shame blanket of being accused of fucking, you know, sexual whatever, it's, I don't feel that, that like righteousness that I did when I was going after the bigots or George Bush or these fucking war criminals. I still feel kind of like the guy who's like, um, just so you know, I wasn't accused of uh, sexual abuse. You know what I mean? Like, uh, please don't think I hate women. Um, like, does anyone want to date me? Like, I'm going to be alone forever. Like, it just feels so shame-filled. Yeah. Um, I think because it's so personal. And yeah. maybe that that's when you become the best artist, right? Like, when right. you can write about the stuff that is just, like, scares the shit out of you. Right. Um, but it's definitely like, it's not as fun. It was fun being like, when I found out that like, I got in a lot of trouble after Conan, that's kind of fucking cool, right? Like who yeah. gets banned from talk shows? It's like Elvis, Bill Hicks, uh, you know, Sinead O'Connor, like that shit's dope. Yeah. You can be like, I'm sad, I need money and this hurts my career, but also like- Andy Kaufman. Andy Co- yeah, you, you feel like a stud. Right. But when it's like, hey, why'd you disappear for a year? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you, uh, I don't do sex right. Like, or, you know, I, I, I do, but like 
uh, uh, these women accuse me of like I don't know man it's so much scarier um and when I got fired from this fucking comedy club, they rehired me because they read the article. But at first, when I got fired from this comedy club, like I was like, God, I, I'm not even going to be able to restart. Like it's just everywhere I go, someone's going to call them and say that I was accused of something I wasn't even accused of. Um, Have you written like a comprehensive response that you can no. send people to? No, I. <sighs> You know what? And, and, and I had friends of mine that told me to do this when it first happened. And there was part of me that didn't because I was so in this sort of feminist world, which I still agree with, where it's like there are more women who don't get justice for their sexual assault than there are men who are falsely accused. Right. Um, and a lot of times whenever like the reason that I always thought men's rights activists were so silly is a woman would get raped and then a guy would go, yeah, well, what about the men who are falsely accused? It's like, right, cool, that's bad, but why are you only bringing that up when a woman is raped? Like, that's a separate issue um, that has nothing to do with this case, which is very clearly this woman was raped. Or they go, what about the men in prison? It's like, cool, let's do something about that also. It's not like an either or right. know, thing. Right. And so I was sort of so in this sort of like white male guilt world that part of me didn't want to say something because I'm like, I don't want to act like the victim um, and be like, what about me? And, you know, give all these like four channers uh, a reason to like, I don't want to be the, the example they use when a girl actually is sexually assaulted or whatever of like, well, look what happened to Kilstein. These feminists are like full of shit. But a, a much bigger part was also like uh, I was literally Googling ways to kill myself and was suicidal and I just needed it to die and go away. Even my girlfriend was like, you have to say something like this is bullshit that they can do this. And I was just like, I anything that will prolong it or prompt a response piece. You know, plus I had a day job at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, I can't get fired. If I lose that job, I have yeah. nothing. I'm not qualified to do anything. Um my entire dude i lost my audience so matter factly that somebody the day before it happened wrote on my facebook they wrote i just want you to know you saved my life and without you on citizen radio like i wouldn't be here anymore and then the next day this happened homeboy didn't even delete that comment he added you know how you can add a comment on facebook it was like i fucking hate you i hope you die <laughs> really yeah totally and i was just like fuck like so <laughs> i lost everybody i mean literally what was so great about a podcast is I used to be like, I can never get fired. Yeah. I can't piss off all these people. Like, you know, I'd like yeah. go back to the hotel I room you, and like jerk off and like become so much harder because I'm like, I saved citizen radio. I didn't fuck anyone. And then I managed to fuck it up still. Uh, and so, so I just didn't want to prolong it. And Shit. I still kind of don't. You're scaring me, man. Cause I have that same thought. Like, you know, if it's you're working for 50,000 people or whatever, they, yeah. they can't all get pissed off at you at the same time. But here's the thing. You, just <laughs> like comedians, just like I used to be, are so upfront about everything you do and believe. Right. Whereas I and people on the left and the reason it's such a story sort of held myself up as this. Right. You know, holier than thou male feminist. Yeah. yeah, that virtue signaling stuff where... Now, with that said, like, I never said don't be in an open relationship. I never said don't have one night stand. I wasn't a Puritan, but I called enough people sexist <laughs> that uh, everybody thought it was very funny. How old are you? 35. All right. So I have time to save this. You're right? fucking growing up. Yeah. And, and a big part of growing up for my, in my life as well, by the way, is 
is migrating from certainty to doubt and then learning to be comfortable in doubt. Which is exciting, I think. It's not as exciting as certainty. It doesn't feel as good because certainty, you can just fucking yell and scream and, you know, call people names and don't worry about it. Right. That's true. Uh, which is fun, but at a certain point you realize it's bullshit and it, you know, that realization came to you kind of quickly Yeah. for most people. I think it's more gradual. Yeah, mine was swift and mighty. (laughs) (laughs) You, you took it as a kick to the balls, but, but I mean, it's a transition you have to make anyway. So here you are. Right. No, I totally agree with that. And it's been interesting listening to sort of, I wouldn't even say moderate voices, still voices on the left that were demonized you know um and and just hearing that side and being like oh i've agreed with that i've agreed with that this whole fucking time um and it's funny like the show was a success in the beginning because i'm like i'm not gonna try to make money or try to find an audience i'm gonna say what i feel and an audience will find me and i'm kind of doing the same thing now but you know when the show started sinking even before this happened was i'm just gonna say the thing that progressive lefties are talking about today on twitter Mm. and it very much became that and and it stopped being about like any kind of nuance it was just sort of like we're just going to repeat the shit on twitter that everybody that likes us agrees with right which there's nothing fun and interesting about that you know like that's why your show I really like Rogan's show where it's like yeah there I can listen to a fucking paleo guy as like a vegetarian and be like oh word I like we're both kind of against we're both against factory farming and we both care about health and we both still have like plant-based stuff in our diet maybe it's more important that I have that guy on my fucking show mm. uh, who is going to come on the show this guy Rob Wolf uh, yeah I know Rob which Wolf. is so funny because he went on Rogan's show and so many of Rogan's fans were like why don't you go after that fucking pussy vegan Jamie Hilstein and I wrote him and I'm like hey man we like both do jujitsu and should be friends and he was like yup um, yeah, he's in Reno I think yeah he is yeah, yeah. and uh, but I'm like it's so it would be so interesting to have that guy on instead of just a bunch of vegans saying the same thing yeah. who are going to either Are you a vegan? Uh I was for a very long time. Oh I, man, I, you're I, off every you, you just jumped the fucking rails, haven't I you? Did. I, I, when this first happened, I was like <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill an animal. I'm going to I hope Trump makes abortion illegal. Uh you can go, all go fuck you can go yourself. Go moose hunting with Joe Rogan. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> go raid his like elk fridge. Um <laughs> So now, so, so here's what I want to ask you. First of all, Uh, I should say for, for, uh, I wanted to tell you this on air. uh So Moby, uh, I told him I was doing this show Mm -hmm. and he got your book as a gift. Probably uh, from Neil Strauss. Maybe. Who looks just like him. Dude, Neil, he does. Oh my God, he does. Neil's another guy. Me and you had the same experience with him. You thought he was a jerk. I was just like, well, this guy's a rapist. And then, uh, I started reading his blogs on like other issues Mm. and um, I'm really excited to read the truth about like his whole sort of journey. And I'm like, oh, is this, is he a great guy? And it's like so many of these people that I was told to fucking hate. Yeah. um, Literally just told to and just was like, all right. So I finished the Moby thing. Oh yeah. So Moby gets your book as a gift and before he reads it, he doesn't know what it's about. Um, he has it in his, I hope he's okay with me telling this. He has it in like his guest house or whatever, like where he does like photo shoots or plays piano or some shit. 
and it's sort of like this empty part of this house where he would take people on like a one-on-one basis and the only piece of art or literature that was there was displayed your book <laughs> on the coffee table. So for the longest time, people would be like, oh, you, do you have sex is done until someone finally told him like, Hey, have you read that book? And he was like, no. He's like, what's it about? And he's like, it's kind of like the Bible for like non-monogamous relationships and stuff. And it looks like you're like trying to send a message essentially (laughs) where you're like, come to my pool house. Oh, what's this book? Like just trying to orchestrate (laughs) wild orgies. And is there porn playing on the TV? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the background (laughs) and like Marvin Gaye. Um, So, uh, so that is, uh, so you, you probably, you may have uh, got Moby laid a couple times is I guess what I'm trying to say. Well, I hope so. I, my first LA experience was Moby's birthday party. My first LA experience was Moby. Uh, I lived in his pool house for a month. This is yes. my porn award. You're now holding my AVN award. Uh, can we, for the picture we take after this, be holding this just to plant my, just to see if it, there's another Jezebel article? <laughs> Best non-sex performance. That story of my life, man. Marriage 2.0. This is amazing. Yeah. By the way, this is a legit fucking yeah. award. It's like really heavy and nice. You can kill an intruder with that. Gold. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I think it's solid gold. 2016. This is recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, am I your first porn star? So Ron Jeremy, I just met for the first time. He, uh, I, he I was, and I were in the same category. I cock blocked Ron Jeremy. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the fucking greatest thing ever. I did my two Ron Jeremy stories. I did a TV show. I did the show called the green room and Ron Jeremy was in the audience, not on my episode. I feel like it was Bill Burr's, um, where long story short, the comics are all doing this panel. And then I think it was Burr who like looked to the audience, double took to the audience. And then it's like, is that fucking Ron Jeremy asleep on? a pillar and Ron Jeremy <laughs> fell asleep against a pillar during a TV taping and then uh, uh, the first comedy club that booked me I'm convinced they don't know what happened uh, was the Ice House I, I, I headlined the Ice House the other night Pasadena. fucking Dina Pasadena I love it it's so underrated and adorable it's a good club yeah it's a great club and uh, they were like hey man Ron Jeremy's gonna do some time before you and I was like oh weird there's another guy named Ron Jeremy like the porn star and then I just saw like Ron like lurch on over and he was like hello and he told me afterwards I guess he used to wait tables I gotta get him on the show he used to wait tables in the Catskills huh. when all those fucking shicky green one liners right. guys were there so Ron gets on stage for like five minutes and literally will just be like how big my my dick so big and then the audience will go how big is it and then he'd be like it's so big and just do this for 10 minutes and meanwhile i'm like all right i gotta scrap my military industrial complex jokes that i'm gonna open with and like i was like i gotta talk about porn and i'm just fucking scrambling was he funny uh, it was fucking Ron Jeremy telling one-liners about how big right. his dick is. So it, it was it, a, a novelty. It, it was it, it was it was an experience. Yeah, is what I'll say. Ron Jeremy. But experience. I will say this: we talked afterwards, and he's fascinating yeah. uh, and really smart. And he was telling me that like it was really interesting. He told me that like one of my jokes reminded him of this Kinnison bit, and uh, I asked him if he knew Sam Kinnison, and he was like, he used to be friends with Kinnison, and um. You know, I was still doing stand-up. Uh, I used to talk to Robin Williams a lot. He was the reason I had a career for a little while. He actually funded Citizen Radio when we were kind of tanking. Uh, no one knew that. You know, we never had sponsors on our podcast, but technically for a year, it was like Citizen Radio brought to you by Robin Williams. Like, he was a great fucking guy. And we used to talk on the phone about, like, my depression, not his. 
and which I still feel fucking terrible about. Um, but anyway, so Robin, I guess, was always this fucking badass who defended underdog comics where Kinnison, when he was screaming about religion and sex and stuff, would get fired from all these clubs in L.A., and Ron Jeremy told me that Robin used to call these clubs and be like, if you don't rehire Kinnison, I'm not going to work there. And that's really? when Robin was like the biggest thing ever. Wow. So yeah, I learned that from Ron Jeremy. That's very cool. What was also funny is as me and Ron were talking about really heavy, we're talking about depression and suicide, his girlfriend was drunk and kept wandering away, like not even towards like the comedy club, but just like into the night of the parking lot. <laughs> and Ron would be like, well, I'll be right back. Hey, where are you going? And then it'd come back and he'd be like, okay, so you were suicidal. And then would be like, oh, God damn it. And she'd be like, ah. I'm going over here and I'd have to like go chase her down. It was a very fucking surreal night. Um, but yeah, so that, uh, this yeah. is the second porn experience. So I'm your second porn yeah, star. I've had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but fucking. But fucking. But fucking. That's what we need to talk about. What do I do? Now? So I always felt like, I think here's what's gotten me in trouble. And tell me if this makes sense. I have never, I think because I'm not, generically a good looking guy I've never like until I did comedy I never really had girls like I lost my virginity when I was like 18 to my first girlfriend who was the first girl I kissed and then comedy I actually started like hooking up and all this stuff but I really did grow up more on romantic comedies (laughs) than I did on like porn Um, and I never had confidence and so when I go to have these one night stands I feel like the reason that the next day even if I'm very explicit and like when I was in an open relationship and I would be like, I, this is just a one night thing. Like, uh, I don't live here. (laughs) I have to go back and they're like, yep, yep. I'm polyamorous. And I'm like, great. And then I'd wake up the next day and they're like, I want to leave the lifestyle and like break up with these guys. Um, I think my game quote unquote is to appear so fucking broken. Uh, and like, I, 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 I'm very relationshipy that I think that I put that vibe out there Hmm. and like, I literally don't know just how to like meet people and have sex. Like I feel like I should, this is the first time I've been single. I usually just jump from relationship to relationship to relationship. And I'm kind of like, maybe I should just try to be up. Maybe I should try like an open relationship. Maybe I should like just date. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm literally so scared about this Google shit um, that I'm just like, am I alone forever? Do I just like, uh, do I disappear? And I don't, you have to help me. Fear is not attractive. It's not right. No, no. So I would say that's the first thing to deal with. I mean, if I think if I were in your position, I would probably write something and not, not necessarily to publicize it. Yeah. Not, Not like a public response from Jamie, you know, but, have something online so that so you don't have to explain it i know so so when you meet someone you're like you know hey yeah if you read about this shit i went through here's you know i wrote about it here yeah it's hard to lead them to like a five-hour episode of the joe rogan show (laughs) yeah yeah you know or or this or whatever but i mean it's good that you're talking about it openly and all that but i i would have like a five paragraph boom 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 here's what here's what happened here's what you know just so that you know, if people raise it like, yeah, man, read my blog. I, I talk about it. Yeah, you know? dude, I still feel I, so I, guilty I, because if you don't respond to it, then it sound then then it leaves it. Well, and I think that's know? what fucked me for that year. But yeah. I feel with everything that's going on right now, I just feel so guilty giving a fucking rebuttal to why mine was 
garbage. I don't know. So if I were a psycho, I am a psychologist. If I were your psychologist, which I'm not, I can't can't afford one. (laughs) I would, I would dig into, uh, whether you have fetishized shame and guilt. Ooh, what does that mean? Like, it means, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy being chastised? Do you enjoy being, public you know shamed publicly or privately is there a masochistic streak is there something in you that invited this i don't think i enjoy i mean i definitely don't enjoy the public shame because i was going to kill myself but what struck me when you said that is like i have become used to sort of like when i meet a girl um whether it be like a one-night stand or on the road or whatever I'm not like at no point am I telling her I fucking do jujitsu and have been on TV and like could fuck up any guy in the bar. It's like, here's all the sad shit I went through. Like my game is like, here are my dad issues. My mom being an alcoholic. The fact that like I had a failed open relationship and divorce and uh, I'm scared to talk to girls. And like, uh, it's definitely like the wounded animal approach that Neil Strauss would probably not be very proud of. Um, and I think I've sort of become used to that. And there's part of me that thinks, well, if I'm not confident, you know, cause you don't have sex for a certain amount of years as like a married adult, you start to feel like very unfuckable and unlovable. And then you go into this weird, dark, shadowy, open relationship thing. Uh, and then this happens that all happened in a row. That was my last six years of relationship. Right. No, there was nothing healthy about anything about any of the sex I had or whatever. Um, you kind of, when you start to hate yourself, I think in a weird way, it's like, that's my game. Like you will, I, you will feel bad for me and think uh, I'm kind of sweet and charming and have been wronged. Not in a manipulative way. Like that's how I feel about myself. Right. So I'm going to open this up to you. And then that is how we have sex. Right. You know what I mean? Like I've never presented myself as like an alpha dude. Right. So then you can't be surprised that the response those women have is, wait, I want to stay and take care of you. Right. You know, That's because so interesting. you're, you're, you're sort of triggering a maternal response in, in a lot of them, I think. Jesus Christ. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what, and it's not, like I said, like, and I think then when I, I leave, if the, if I, if I don't see the chance of a relationship working, I think I'm doing the right thing by walking away and not just keeping them on the hook for when I want to fuck. I just go, Oh, this isn't going to be a relationship. So like we should end it. Then it seems like I was, I think to some of them, it seems like I was tricking them and it was like, no, like I wasn't. Um, this is how I felt. Yeah. Um, God, that's so fucking interesting. Well, and also in, like liberal world and stuff, you know, I mean, I had a bit against cat callers and stuff like that. It's almost like being like an assertive guy seems disrespectful at best and predatory at worst. Mm. Right. I mean, dude, I was called a predator with that as my MO. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, do you think I want to tell the girl at the coffee shop? Like, she's gorgeous and here's my phone number like no fucking way no fucking way do i want to do that you know i i was when i was in college and this is or this is before this shit became the tidal wave it is now yeah you know across american culture but i was i went to college in the early 80s 80 okay. to 84 and 
I took women's studies classes yeah. and, um, you know, would have described myself as a male feminist. Sure. I had the white guilt. I had the male guilt. I had, you know, all sorts of layers of guilt. Um, and then I, I hooked up. Well, when I say hook up, I mean fucked. Yeah. Uh, a, uh, this <laughs> you don't mean sat around naked, then got in trouble and disappeared for a year? Not Is that, that. Not what you mean That's by hook up? That's not what I meant, no. Um, no I, I, I had a relationship with a woman uh, who was Latina. Okay. And I remember, I, re- I remember this so clearly. It was a turning point in my life. I remember, you know, I was going on about something and she was looking at me and, you know, she she respected me and loved me and loved my mind and all yeah. that. Um, but I remember her just saying, hey, Chris, will you shut the fuck up and fuck me? <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, just shut up and fuck me. Like, yeah, we're here. I'm into it. Like, you, you, you know, you don't need to keep asking for permission and, yeah. you know, proving to me that you're a nice guy. I don't give a shit. I know. I know oh, you're a nice guy. Now just yeah. shut up and fuck me. And and I was with her off and on for a long time, for years. Uh, who wouldn't have been? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and she really taught me a lot. She pulled me out of that orbit of shame and guilt and all that yeah that's i think what i desperately need to find out for myself but because i i i was gonna say this on joe's show and i didn't and depending on your reaction uh we'll see if i post this to my feed or just your feed um where i pitched this to a friend of mine who's like progressive and they were like eh don't say this but when this first came out i remember saying about me i remember wanting to be like do you know how many women i have talked out of fucking me like i really am the most self-conscious anti-predator i had like a stripper back she brought me back to her house and she started telling me about her sad life and i literally was like you don't want to do this don't add me to your roster of sadness you know what i mean i had the exact same experience is what made me think about it which is uh a friend of mine who's gorgeous and like I totally had a crush on her. She came to my show in DC. We met through like jujitsu and uh, she was like, can I give you a ride back to your hotel? And I was just like, okay, again, not thinking anything cause I'm not confident. And then she was like, oh, we have to stop by my house. And I was like, all right. And I'm like standing in her fucking living room and she goes, this is my bedroom. And I go neat. And then I like went to go play with the dog and I'm playing with the dog. And so then she figures out that's not happening. So she goes, all right, do you want to, I'll drive you back to your hotel. And I was like, all right. So I fucking, we get in the car and I'm driving back to the hotel. And, uh, uh, it was right when lemonade came out by Beyonce and, uh, which I love. And I was like, she was like, oh, have you seen the music video? And I go, no. And she goes, well, I have it on my computer if you want to watch it in your hotel. And I was like, I do love Beyonce. And so then we're fucking in the hotel, lying there but next to each other. fucking in the hotel. Watching Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, Lemonade, so sexy, like, as well. So we're watching it. But isn't it about her husband cheating on her? Uh, yeah, it is. But it, the videos are... She's still sexy. Yeah, yeah. it's so, still sexy. Still Beyonce. And, uh, and so then she's like... You know, I'm going to have to get out of here soon. Like also hinting. <laughs> and I'm so nervous about like, I'm like, I don't want to be like that yeah. guy, quote unquote. Yeah. And this is before all this shit. And, uh, and I remember she said that. Oh my God. I remember she said that. She goes, I'm going to have to go soon. And I go, great. We have time for at least one more song. And then she gets up to leave and she fucking throws me down the bed, like makes out 
hard like dry hump and then was like all right i gotta go you fucked up and i was just like and then she left yeah and it's sort of like how especially with what's going on now like how do you guys like how do you find that balance or how do you find that um i'm telling you man if 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 guys were just taught how to fucking be confident uh, instead of all this like absence garbage, I think it would fix a lot, you know, like so much of it has to do with shame and because fear of rejection sucks no matter what. Yeah. Let alone you throw sex and shame and now this stuff on top of it. There, there's a I, I got how did this happen? I was flying to San Francisco from Europe. This is a long time ago, too. And I sat next to a 13 year old girl. Yeah. Who was like she was like. Imagine Jodie Foster when she was 13. You know, okay. she was that kind of super smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fearless, articulate kid. Just yeah. really cool kid. And I'm we, glad you said smart because I'm like, oh, I figured out how 50,000 listeners will stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> she was high. <laughs> um, no, she was she was wonderful. And so we had this, and it was like a nine-hour flight. We talked a lot. She's just like, just one of those like quick, yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, and and totally. she knew so much. And so she, we were talking about relationships. I think I was working on my PhD at the time. Yeah. And so I was we were talking about, you know, prehistoric sexuality, which is what my research was Jesus. about. And, you know, just totally cool like yeah. you know i wouldn't have raised it with most 13 year olds obviously yeah. that's um, not your your move for 13 year olds my go-to what do you guys think of prehistoric uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you think of monkey balls little girl <laughs> they're huge <laughs> um but anyway she recommended a book to me <laughs> which i <laughs> this is so bizarre. which i then bought and read okay uh, it's called The Romantic Movement by Elaine de Botton, who, who writes about philosophy oh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. He, he's become pretty popular, um, right. but at the time I had never heard of him. And it's very interesting. It, it, it's a long time since I read it, but one of the things, it, it's about uh, people, a, a man and a woman meeting each other and sort of going through the different phases of their relationship, and, you know, including breaking up. Yeah. And he, he sort of he tells the story, but then he steps back and comments on what's happening and the differing expectations that they had or the oh, way they misinterpreted right. each other's behavior and That's all that. Cool. So it's really interesting. But one of the things I remember him pointing out, and I lived in Spain at the time, so it really struck me. He said there are, there's a Northern European um, male approach to courtship and a Southern European approach. Okay. The Northern European approach, which we white Americans tend to have in the United States, is um, you know you you see a woman at the cafe and you you become obsessed with her and she's amazing and she's so beautiful and she's like an angel and you go home and you write poetry and you you know whatever and then eventually you you know in the middle of the night you work up the nerve to actually slide the envelope under her door and, yeah. and it's like this big deal and oh my god and and when she doesn't respond you're absolutely heartbroken yeah. and you're wandering the streets you know this looking is- for a bridge to jump off so this is the the approach that I grew up. We'll call with. it the Jamie, yeah, <laughs> the Jamie Young Chris approach, and then the Southern European approach, which I picked up in Spain, thank God, is you go into it expecting to be rejected. That's the expectation. So it's oh, funny. I have that too, <laughs> but I mean in a way that it doesn't hurt. 
So you see the woman at the cafe. You don't go home and think about it. You just go over and say, hey, how are you? You're beautiful. Can I buy you a coffee? And she says, no, you scumbag. And you're like, okay, sorry. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. That was, again, my second accuser. But But, But it's not like sleazy. It's just life it's part of life it's yeah. it's not uh hey if you, you look like someone who has a boyfriend but if you don't and i could buy you a coffee i'd love to and she right. says yeah i got a boyfriend ah my bad day whatever yeah. have a good day i'd buy you a coffee anyway i just right, won't sit right, with right. you you know and so so you sort of go into it expecting that it's not going to work out you don't invest a lot in it. Go, Fuck it so the rejection is no big deal yeah when it comes in and it isn't even really a rejection because right. you've set it up so she can say she can laugh and say yeah i do have a boyfriend and like it's nothing personal it's no big deal yeah and it's also like i don't know i mean i can't speak for women but like it seems like it would be a bummer to like if you never you know uh, it's hard, right? Because you hear stories of women. Like I used to live in New York, so all of my friends are who are women are just like consistently creepily harassed on the way to the subway from the subway. Just screamed at, and it's like that doesn't seem fun. Right. Um, and I think the fact that I heard about those stories for so long makes me yeah. Like my waitress and I, like last night, I went out and like we were just like laughing the whole time. Every time she came up, we had this great, and I was like. There was literally part of me that I, when I went to leave, was like, I don't even want to go up to her and say bye because I don't want it to seem like a creepy mm. thing. And then and then I go so far as I'm like, how oh, does she fucking knew who I was? And then, like, of course I'm going to hit on her because, like, mm. I'm the creepy predator guy. Like, right. it's so – and literally all we had was just – we just, like, fucking laughed all the time. She was cute. Um but it's like, man, it's just hyper mode. And I feel like not just to make it about me, since this is a podcast, um, but I feel like lots of guys are going to start to take on in a weird way how I feel in general because of everything that's happening. Because mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, that Garrison Keeler story was it the Garrison. I mean, they're all mixed up now, but there was one where he just there was one where it just sounded like a sad old dude was trying to flirt with a, a guest not even an employee mm. and it just didn't work yeah it's like that dude's life's over and that's embarrassing to have like written about and like yeah. al franken i mean dude like he left that, the senate i thought he was I literally the day before this is how fucked i am like the day before i was like you know he's gonna be the next president al franken and should i be. woke up the next morning it would have been amazing in a in a country that isn't totally ridiculous and conflicted i mean the, the last straw was the woman who asked for a photo. Yep. He put his hand on her waist. She, she said, which I do, of course. He said she, he squeezed her at least twice or something. And she said, I love it. And she said, uh, I don't even allow my husband to touch me that way in public. Well, homie, that's a you like, problem. That's yeah. not an Al Franken problem. That's, and that's a husband problem. Right. That poor guy. I got to take a piss. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, take a break here. All right. We're back from our piss break. We nailed it. We know. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Stuck the landing. I want to ask you oh, before before oh, yeah. you do just a, a, a reminder to you and to other listeners who are interested in this kind of stuff. I did an episode with my uncle Dan. Okay, who is the most relaxed man around women I've ever met. He, huh. he is. He's in his seventies. He came to visit me in Spain maybe ten years ago. Yeah, and he doesn't speak any Spanish. And we'd be like sitting in a cafe outside. The guy's in his seventies, and 
women would just come over and be like, hi, introduce me to your uncle, this guy. Is he, is, is he your dad? Like, no, it's my uncle. Like, oh, introduce me. And, and I, I'm translating. He's just has this magnetism. He's not like Robert Redford. He's not super good looking or anything. Yeah. He's, uh, but what he does is he creates uh, a bubble of relaxation and happiness around him. That's kind of how I felt with that fucking waitress last night. And then I was just like, panic leave. Well, see, the thing is with a waitress, that's her job. I know. That's so, why I never want to do it. Yeah, like, it's like coming on to strippers, not not to equate waitresses and strippers, but yeah, pe- yeah. people who are, you know, part, their job is to be friendly that and make true. you feel happy to be there. Right. There's a creepiness to sort of like taking that and saying, you know, hey. You oh, know. because you were in a, Yeah. Because you, you put a smiley face on my check. You must want to fuck. It's like, yeah, no, she was, yeah. she lives off tips and makes $2 Exactly. An hour. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. that's why I've never done the waitress thing. Yeah. Um, but there is. But but see, uh, on the other side, it's your problem, which is my which was my problem for a long time. Not so much anymore. But um, and by the way, just age makes yeah. this easier. Mm. Um for two reasons one is you know the things you're afraid are going to happen happen a few times and then you realize who gives a shit doesn't really matter that's the thing i was like uh my life has literally already been torpedoed i can handle a girl at a bar saying no right that's the great gift of what you've (laughs) been through right and the other thing is as testosterone levels start to decline you can relax it's not like I have to get laid. I have to get right, laid. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like, I don't really care. Right. I mean, you know, I could get laid or I could go home and go to bed. Which is an attractive quality. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, th- you know, it's one of these things, you know, it's like, it's like every job I've ever applied for that I didn't want, I was offered. Yeah, me too. Uh, that was the, the, the book deal I got. I went in with all these proposals to smaller places and I was like, here's why you should like me. And then eventually when I went into Simon and Schuster, the biggest one, I was in like sweatpants and had my luggage because I was going to help my brother train for a fight and I was going to the airport and I was just like, I don't know, man. I just want these fucking people to get out of our way so we can just write what people like uh, about us instead of trying to be neutered. And they were like, here's a lot of money. And mm. I was like, all right. Um, no. Yeah, so same deal. So how do you do that with rela- you do that with relationships? That's it. I mean, you do that with neediness drives away. Right. Uh, Potential people. And, uh, you know, fear attracts danger. I think we get everything backwards. The causality is backwards, you know? Yeah. Um, Anyway, so so with Dan, you know, we talked about this a lot because I know there are a lot of younger men who are listening to this podcast and they're looking for, you know, guidance in this stuff. And he he sort of was my model as I was growing up. And his thing is is really interesting. He's like, I see a woman, um, you know, by the way, he's. He's got stage four cancer. He's had it for years. Doesn't die. Doesn't seem totally <laughs> fine. Uh, he's got four or five girlfriends. Oh, my God. They all know each other. He'll, he sends me pictures of like him and four women out on the boat. He lives in Florida. Whoa. and they, they go out. Um, he just doesn't lie. He's And, and see, the thing that, that is enigmatic about all this is that... Um, I think, and and women have told me that that the most attractive quality in a man for them is um, authenticity. Right. So maybe your authenticity is, um, look, uh, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm on the road most of the year. You know, my life's complicated. 
you seem great. I'd love to hang out with you later if you want to, but you know, on the table, this is right. what it's going to be. You know? Yeah. I mean, what's so funny is even during that sort of like one night stand years, um, I think I did always want a, a, a real, I always thought I was like a relationship guy. Cause that's all I knew. Right. I just went from long-term relationship to long-term relationship. And so now like I'm reading your book, I've been listening to your podcast. Uh, and you know, like I used to do stuff with like Dan Savage ages ago. I think he might think I'm a predator. I don't know fucking know. Um, but, um, I think just like, I had someone tell me something really interesting. Do you know this guy, Paul Provenza? No. So he's great. And he was the one who like discovered me when I was homeless. And he was talking to me about open relationships years ago before I tried it. And you know, he he did that green room show. Yeah. He was the host. Yeah. yeah. Uh, He created it. And so I I remember I asked him, uh, what I'm sure everybody gets asked where you go, you go, well, what about love? And he goes, I love lots of people. And that struck me like so hard. Cause I remember, you know, you meet someone in this country or you meet someone there and maybe it's just a month, maybe it's a week, but you do feel this sense of like love and this, you know, uh, this sense of intimacy. And, uh, you know, that was definitely a moment I was like, Oh, I can do this. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. Just like you have friends in different parts of the world right. you have like, um, you know, people you love in different parts of the world. And I, I, I don't know if it's because like my brain has been romantic comedy brainwashed or I've only known monogamous relationships, but none of my monogamous relationships fucking worked. Uh, they're all disasters. And uh, so I think it's sort of like training yourself to be like, Hey, you're okay. Okay, if you don't, because, you know, I think it also has to do with like mom's an alcoholic, codependency, abandonment issues on my part and confidence where I think one of the reasons I would relationship jump and probably get into a relationship that I knew wasn't going to work or I knew would be unhealthy is because someone would show interest and I would be like, oh, well, this is a fucking fluke. So I have to hold on to you because no one else is going to fuck me. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so you kind of keep going with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and it seems to me that that what's really important at this stage of life is to not misrepresent yourself to people. Yeah. You know? And I think I would definitely do that by accident. Yeah, I think we all do at, you know, at a certain stage of life and and you know, the the key is to try to first know yourself and then once you do be open about that's what everyone that, said joe that said that is. to me stan hope said that to me there's like dude you got to figure out who the fuck you are right because i've gone from you know vegan feminist to mma fighter to you know and these are all things i thought i i thought that part of me it, it was always there yeah. but um i think i was so longing for like acceptance that i would right. jump into things which when, explains the vehemence with which you adopted the whole social justice thing. Dude, you, know? you have to just triple down when you're like, this feels weird. I'm all in. And then yeah. a burning comedy behind me. Right. Where it was like, well, fuck them. They didn't accept me. Right. This group accepts me. So now I'm going to go hard and fuck yeah. comics and fuck, you know, all of this. But that's hard. I mean, what you're facing is, I talk about this a lot. This is um, Joseph Campbell's term, detribalization. Yeah. You know, and it sounds to me like you're sort of jumping from one tribe to the other. But what you're finding is that you're not going to encounter your identity in any of those tribes. Yeah. You're going to encounter it where you're alone. And there, and uh, again, what's so ironic is that's where I have found the most success when I started 
citizen radio just being like you know what i'm filthy and edgy which liberals don't like but i have liberal values i'm just gonna do this thing Mm. and then it became really big because there were other people who felt that way and i sort of feel the same way now where you know there was part of me when i first went on i talked about this a little on the podcast i'm gonna post next um where there was a Patreon like locked podcast, but I, I will say it publicly here because I think it's important. There was part of me when I went on Rogan's and Stanhope that were like, all right, I got to say the word like faggot. I got to say retarded. I have to be like, I'm a comic, N- not in a hateful way, you know, uh, but like just to be like, I'm a comic. I'm edgy. Uh, I'm not progressive. And, you know, I wondered, I'm like, oh, is this me jumping Mm. all the way to the other side where it's like, well, no, I still have progressive values. Um, I still don't want to hurt a gay person. You know what I mean? Um, but that instinct to just go full fucking burn it all down behind me is a hundred percent there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But you burn that shit away and then what's left is who you are, you know? That's what I said on the show where I was like, yeah, you kind of like toy with the other side and then you figure out what you, it's Bruce Lee, right? Like disregard what's useless. You like take from here's what I love about comedy or, or me and here's what I love about uh, progressives and you know, here's what I love about whatever. And then you can create something a- actually new and not yeah. derivative and yeah. um, which I think is what gets people excited, you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, you know, Louis C.K., we're not supposed to talk about Louis C.K. now, but I I, I love Louis. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I, I love the, the... I love that masturbation hotel bit he used to do. Which bit was no, that? No, I'm kidding. Oh. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about him. Uh. I only love the sexual assault. He was a comic? He did stand-up? Oh, no, I just Never love that shit he did him. to women. Never he, heard of him. But yeah, no, I, I um, absolutely. No, but he talked... To, he, he did the... Uh, I don't know. I heard this on an interview. He was talking about uh, how his career as a comic had plateaued and he was doing like Chinese restaurants and shit. Yeah. He was driving home one day having this sort of crisis like, fuck, I'm 33. I don't know how to do anything else. This isn't going anywhere. And he heard an interview with George Carlin. Yeah. Maybe on Fresh Air, I think. And um, George was talking about how every year he threw away his yep. entire bit his act and um started fresh and how that was the only way to keep it real to keep digging further and further and you know also yeah. it was self-revelation and all that and so that's when louis career took off when he right. decided to do that yeah and that that's i you probably know i hang out with a lot of comics and what i love about them and this is what I was asked getting at earlier when I asked if it felt like a sellout to you when you became this vehement, you know, leftist kind of um, warrior. Because what I love about the comics is I don't need to watch my language around them. Right. Anything is fair game. Right. Again, as you say, not mean spirited like Joe and Duncan and Moshe and all these people. They're not going to laugh if you're being mean to someone. Right. But if the concept is funny, it's funny. It doesn't matter if it's offensive. Yeah. You're not like going up to. I I think that's the stereotype of comedians to my old crew, which is like, you know, not that like. Yeah, that they would walk up to like a fat person and be like, hey, you fucking fat shit. Like, it's not that. Yeah. But they can do a joke that has to do with being fat or, right. um, 
you know, I think a really interesting example. Yeah, like Moshe's an, uh, an interesting example. So I, I actually don't know him. I feel like we did one show in New York and like briefly talked backstage. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with him. And I remember just people being mad at him um, on the left. I actually just listened to the podcast you did with him where he said like that website like picked apart his entire special essentially. Mm. And I was like, fuck, man, I, I, I wonder if I said something because to me, I don't even investigate it. I don't get offended. I'm a fucking white straight guy. But I go, there was always part of me that was like, yeah, fuck. I failed at comedy. Fuck this comic who's making it. Didn't know anything yeah. about the guy. Started listening to interviews with him. You comics, for all your beautiful qualities, so you are backbiting bitches. Well, that's a good thing is that has changed with like, dude. Anybody who wants to be my friend, I am the nicest <laughs> to that. I've become such a legit humanist. But it's, but it's surprising how much of that there is. Because the well, comics in, that I've met are such nice people and so open-minded. But there is that like, yeah, goddamn. Well, you know. we're self-hating. Um, yeah, that's you, what it is. You won't There's get a it reservoir. as much because you, your friends are very talented. And it's definitely like the people who help me the most... Where, I mean, Jesus, it was like, Rob, I mean, incredibly successful people because right. there was nothing. They still could hate themselves, but there was nothing mm. to fear. Whereas oh, there are so many comics right, right. where it's like, you know, I mean, there are probably like authors who you've never heard of who shit all over you. And it's just like, well, you've never heard of them for a reason because all they do is shit on other authors mm. instead of like make shit. Um and so I didn't shit on comics really until I felt like a failure. Right. Um, but Moshe, I, Moshe is one of the only guys I guessed what his email is. Don't know if I was right. Don't know if it got to him, but I heard him on your podcast, but I also heard him on, I think Greg Fitzsimmons podcast. And it was the first time I heard some, a guy and he's so progressive. If you guys don't know Moshe, you should. Definitely check him out. Um, really progressive, so intelligent, so fucking funny. And uh, Moshe Kasher, by the Kasher. way, talking about. And I finished his book, uh, Kasher, Kasher and Rye, which I also loved. Right and uh, yeah, it was the first time I heard someone just go, "Oh yeah, I, I slept with probably like five hundred women." And like he wasn't ashamed, and he talked about just like on the road and like. And that was all one night. That was all one night, you guys. Yeah, Moshe, very good comic. Also, gangbang porn star, <laughs> Moshe Kasher. Get his book. Um, but he, I literally wrote him. Which, if the fucking guy only heard Whirlwind, could think like a sexual predator wrote him and was like, you know, you really made me understand myself. <laughs> but even just hearing someone. Just say that without shame. I mean, he's been through so much, but like, just say that without shame and being like, yeah, I would look for sex every night for, you know, whatever reasons, mm. uh, made me feel so like normal for a minute and, uh, really reminded me that comics compared to progressives, I think they get more shit because they literally don't filter anything because they're not interested in making themselves look high and mighty or noble. Mm. And so they can come off more like assholes, but it's like, we're all thinking that stuff yeah. or we, you know, have all fucked people. We didn't want to fuck or, um, you know, lied to get something or whatever. Comics are just honest about it. Right. Um, and I think that's what I forgot that I admired so much about them, especially when, like I said, 
one progressive journalist reached out to make sure I wasn't dead. Like I'd talk about my depression and suicide on like citizen radio and stuff. Um, all these progressives who like, look, man, if I was accused of like rape, okay, cool. I get it. Or like assault or whatever. But like anyone who read the article is like, Oh, this is insane. People who, you know, would only call me when they wanted to get on TV or whose careers I like really put myself out for, um, or who emotionally I did. No one reached out to make sure I was alive. Um, except for one journalist, but comics who I spent years shitting on, you know, Stanhope, Joe Provenza, Jim Norton, who I, I barely knew. I knew him probably when I was like 22. And the only thing I probably asked him was like, how do you b- b- get an agent? Can I open for you? I was just probably like a piece of shit open micer. Right. And he reached out because he's talked very openly about his sex life yeah. and like, yeah. you know, and he was like, hey, I want you to know you're, you're going to be OK. And like, blah, blah, blah. And, That's cool. And it was just these comics. And I was like, God. I spent so long thinking you guys were all fucking these sexist monsters. And you hear lots of them who even have quote unquote sexist jokes actually talk about women's issues and stuff like that. And like they're brilliant and they're not sexist. So let me ask you a question. Are are you, are you in danger of joining another tribe by going like full comic fuck politics? No, no, not not necessarily. Or just I, in general. I think the comic tribe is a self-correcting tribe. So that's kind of where what I want to do now and, you know. But I mean, are you going to be a fucking Scientologist five years from now? Dude, I did for the first time. I've shit on Scientology and religion my whole career. But the first time I drove by the big complex and I was like really sad and I saw it all lit up and stuff. I was like, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Like, Well, I, it's community. And it's you sound community. like someone who's who really is looking for community. Yeah, I feel like I've never had it. I mean, I'm finding it for the first time in my life with these comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it with jujitsu, um, and yeah, it's shocking that I haven't been molested or like indoctrinated into a cult because um, I'm very like want male role models. Like, um, uh, yeah, want that validation, that community. Um, I think with comics, I think now that I'm, I'm trying to talk about myself more on stage and on the podcast and really just like examine all this stuff and evolve my thoughts and talk to different people. I think that I'm actually going to find real friendships instead of just saying I'm part of a team. Right. You know? Um, and I got bit in the ass so bad that it's like sort of the last thing. I mean, but I've also had a bunch of like fucking like very popular, very financially successful, more like right leaning free speech libertarian people be like, come on my show, come on my show. Like our audience is going to love you. And I'm like, oh, that's be fucking tempting to have like a rabid audience again. But I found like even on Rogan's show when I did it, we talked about stuff that I didn't think we would agree on so hard, like police brutality and Islamophobia. Um, obviously pro police brutality. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but we talked about like when I was left to my own devices for three hours, I'm still the same person at heart. I didn't Mm. change my views. I'm not suddenly going to be a fucking conservative. Um, I just think I'm much more open-minded. Um, I hope and, uh, trying to figure out where the fuck I went wrong, you know? Um, so I hope not. I think if I'm aware enough about the culty shit, Mm. um, but I'm definitely going like pretty hard back into being a, like a comic and being proud of being a comic because there are so many diverse. What's funny, man, is you fucking all these progressives who are talking about like we have to defend like 
trans people of color. It's like, where's your trans friend? Because I'm only hanging out with white kids in Brooklyn who are tweeting this. And the first time I actually hung out around like a, a purely diverse crowd was jujitsu. And you guys all think MMA is like a blood sport. Um, jujitsu and comedy. Like being back in comedy, I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm actually hanging out with actual diverse people right i'm actually hanging out with diverse people uh when i do jujitsu or you know muay thai or whatever um and yeah brooklyn progressive nation writers very fucking white yeah very fucking white yeah um yeah my my wife grew up in africa she's asian primarily asian but a lot of people think she's black she yeah she has some african blood as well i guess and um she often talks about how annoying the racism is in America compared to the racism in Africa. Oh, interesting. Because in Africa, it's on the table. It's out. It's like, I don't like black people. You know? Yeah. I, I would I, I'd never let my children marry a black person. Like, okay, good. Know who you are. Thank yeah. you. In yeah. America, it's like, oh, no, I, oh, I'm so progressive. And then, but there's the subtle behavioral oh, yeah. things. Dude. And so it's, it's much more annoying and harder to deal with. Yeah. The first time I played San Francisco, I was so excited because I was like, this is going to be the most progressive fucking show ever. And I did my like legalized pot stuff, killed, did my gay marriage stuff. This is years ago, killed. And then I was like, yeah, how about institutional racism? And they're like, oh, we sent them over the bridge to Oakland. Like, we don't fucking talk about that shit here. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's like there is a lot of racism on the left and it's subtle and it's bougie and it's, ugh, it's yeah, creepy. It's unacknowledged. Yeah. No, no, no. I totally yeah. get that. You um, ever work with Neil Brennan? Dude, I no. He's one of those guys. We came up. He was like a grade above me at the Boston Comedy Club. And I was always kind of too nervous to talk to him. And same deal now. I like sat next to him at the comedy store the other day because my friend, uh, this guy, Eddie Pepitone was on. And I was like, I got to say something to him because that's special, man. I heard him on your show. Yeah. Oh, three mics. So that was one of the specials that made me like want to do comedy again. Everyone you've interviewed, I've had some kind of weird, you, I have a different crew, uh, than your crew, but your crew has done a lot for me in these, uh, these trying times as I transition back mm. to comedy. Like, I think I found you through Duncan, but I don't know Duncan. I just know Joe. Mm. Uh, and uh, Joey Diaz and I finally did a show together the other night, and he's going to come on my show. But out of that whole crew, I just know Ari. Uh, Ari's great. To, Ari would be great on your podcast. Uh, um, I've had him on twice. Oh, have you? I, I got to hear yeah. it. Okay. Cause at he's at all, least twice, maybe three times. Because yeah. he's been one of those dudes who's not really relationship. He's just like fucking like women on the road and a charmer. Yeah. And I want to hang out with him. He's become much more badass. I met him the first time, maybe four years okay. ago. I was wondering, cause that is that new. Cause now he's just like a fucking super stud. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, yeah, I remember like, yeah, he's really like, you know, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but I feel like little Ari's grown up in the last four years. That's I mean, funny. He's become like a badass motherfucker. I like him a lot. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. He's, I like him a lot. I did a, a podcast with him the other day and he's just so funny. And yeah, just a fucking Badass. Did like, you do his show or he did your? I did Punch Drunk, uh, oh. which he co-hosts. Oh, okay. um, I want to get him on my show when he's back. Um, I think we're both going to do Edinburgh together. So my plan is befriend Ari. Yeah, I like when him a I lot. I did his podcast the first time, we recorded at the comedy store during the day. So we just sat out on the on the porch there. Oh, and, that's great. And you know, tour buses went by, like trying to figure out if I was Philip Seymour Hoffman, <laughs> the ghost of Philip Seymour <laughs> yeah, Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, that was the first time we met and he was all excited. He was like, well, this is the first doctor I've had on my podcast, you know, PhD and oh, all this shit <laughs> playing up all that. And then after, at the end of it, he hands me a $50 bill. And I'm like, what is this? He's like, no, I pay my guests. You know, I make money off this thing. Well, I have terrible news, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what are we going to do? Give each other 50? <laughs> Hand it back and forth? No, I mean, I've never paid a guest, but... Um, it really struck me like, like what a cool thing to do. Like yeah. he was making money and I haven't made money on my podcast until just very recently. Um, I still don't do ads, by the way, you're talking earlier about, yeah, I, the, I, 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 we went the whole eight years or almost 10 years, no ads. How did you monetize it? So we actually had a smaller audience than people thought and probably made more money than people thought. Um, which I can tell you off air. Uh, we just did it. People really liked us. And we so were just donations. for the longest time. Yeah. We kind of had a Patreon model before Patreon. And yeah. I, I think that the reason it did start to go down by a lot before all this stuff happened was there's just something about fucking sincerity being like, we're not going to have ads. This is who we are. Here are all of our flaws. Like my favorite parts of citizen radio weren't just regurgitating what the nation wrote. It was like when I talked about like my like depression or like substance problems or, you know, being lonely. And those were the episodes where we got so many emails the next day. And I think if you have an authentic show and you're just like, Hey man, if you support us, you know, here we go. Right. Plus it was really right. progressive. So I think they liked that we were commercial free and they're like, right. we're going to step in and Fits they were part the of model. it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try to do that now with Patreon, but now there are so many more podcasts. Like we kind of had that donor model before anyone did. Mm. So, but now it's like, you know, if people are giving five bucks a month to like 35 podcasts, I'm like, yeah. it'll probably be a little harder, but yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly think the key was authenticity because we didn't even have bonus content. We, we, you didn't get a fucking tote bag or shit. You paid $5 a month or $50 a month. It was like, you're getting the same, but we had people no like who paid a hundred dollars a month, like yeah. just cause they supported it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we'll see if it happens with that's this one, but it was cool. cool. I, that, that's something I was really proud of with the show. It's like, yeah, it didn't have commercials or, or anything. Um, were you going to say something about Neil? I feel like you have a list of oh. comics. I need you to email and be like, Jamie's not a predator. She <laughs> thinks you're a cool guy. I'm like I, you have to get me laid yeah. and you have to make oh. me friends with Moshe. And Neil this is what I have to then do. Then I'll huh? give you $50. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very cheap for pimping. That is cheap for pimping. That is true. Um, were you bringing up Neil for the Neil? Um, no, just, just cause Neil, I, I, I don't, Neil's not a friend or anything. Yeah. I, um, your episode with him was great. It was wonderful. It was the only time I've hung out with him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to like go hiking together or anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, I'll go hiking um, together. but he's, uh, I, I was just struck by how incredibly um authentic and sincere he is yeah which i kind of expected after seeing three mics yeah. but also at the end of it there was this really funny thing like after you know you know it went really quickly of course and and i was excited to meet him he's you know someone i admire um and chappelle show was amazing oh, and yeah um and afterward i was sort of you know packing up my stuff and, and he was a little awkward you know like yeah I was in his house and he has this really cool dog. Yeah. And he was sort of like waiting for me to go. And so I felt like I got to hurry up. Yeah. And pack yeah up my, oh, I've done that before. Pack up my cables. Get yeah, the fuck yeah, out yeah. of here. Oh, that's the and anyway, on the way to you know, walk into the door, I said, man, it's really nice of you to do this. Like you didn't need to do this. Why, why did you do it? And he's, and he just said, uh, we're kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, oh, wow. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't pick up what 
5,000 new fans from my podcast. Who gives right. a shit? You know, he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, man. I mean, comics at their best are the greatest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it, I mean, we're, they're, they're, we're tortured, right? That's the unfortunate part. But I think with that comes this, like, this vulnerability and this honesty and this empathy. Are there, are there mentally healthy, psychologically healthy comics? No, probably not fucking funny. You think <laughs> I so? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that would be, I mean, I, I would love to be one down the line. Cause it, um, it seemed, you seem to be right. But I think it comes from, I mean, okay. So whenever I used to do interviews and they were like, were you the class clown? I was like, nope. Uh, some comics were, but I was fucking awkward and picked on and quiet and a stoner and a musician. When I came to comedy, it was because when my mom was being carted away by the cops, uh, she's doing great now. Shout out. Sorry, I had to say that. Um, Me and my brothers were upstairs in our house in Jersey and uh, trying not to cry or whatever. And whoever made that first joke, and it would always be a fucked up dark joke because of the circumstances. Right. Would break that ice. We would all die laughing. Mm-hmm. And then th- once we were laughing, we could actually be like, okay, what do we do? Like, right. let's figure it out now. Right. And so to me, and what's so ironic is, man, every interview I used to do, I used to talk about how important it is to be offensive and edgy because good comedy comes from pain and it can be cathartic. And I, I pretty much turned on myself. Like I sold myself out. I didn't right. sell, you know, I mean, I, I also sold my friends out, but like, I just changed that belief. I was just kind of told enough that that's not good enough. And look, I, I, I think if you're doing something, if you're making a joke just to hurt someone, you know, I still, I don't want to punch down. My new set's not going to be like, you know, about like kicking retarded people. Like, you know, um, I gotta write that down. Kicking. (laughs) Um, but but yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah, um, was that sort of pain? So I think that's why we do see a lot of really funny comics still grappling with their insecurity, or they have mm. fucked up childhoods. But what's really cool about one of the things that's really cool about Rogan and this kind of crew he's bringing up. I mean, granted, like you know, like has all this stuff with drinking and like you know, it's still definitely a bunch of misfit toys, but. I sort of love that like Joe is this example of like here's someone who he's a total stoner but like he's, he fucking fights and he uh, is confident and he like writes down his goals like I mean I hung out with liberal journalists and comics in New York you can't come to them with like hey man like I just accomplished my goals or like, I'm going to start journaling or I want to better myself. Like that was almost seemed like uncool. It was almost, Mm. you would wear depression and misery and being overworked as this badge of honor, Mm. you know, this struggle, this New York, yeah, everything sucks. Um, and I think with more guys like Joe who, who can actually be inspirational on the other side, Mm. you know, and being like, no man, like taking care of yourself is also good. Yeah. And being healthy is also good. I think that's going to be really interesting to see if that, um, you know, sparks sort of like something else in comedy. And it, it can also, yeah, you can be healthy. And t- or like Dalia, I heard your interview with him. And like, yeah, he's just like a confident, good looking dude. I mean, we're all 
self-critical and self-hating, but I think that's artists in general, you yeah. know? Um, but I, 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 when I first started doing comedies this year off, all I was doing was eating really clean. I wasn't really drinking. I was doing jujitsu and fighting every day. And once I started doing comedy, I've started like boozing way harder again. And I'm like, Oh, do I get depressed again? And like, is this mm. what you do? Right. And so I have to refine that balance of like, no, I can use the healthy stuff to make me more confident on yeah. stage instead of just like every other, you know, drunk yeah. comic or whatever. Well, I'll introduce you to Moshe. If you introduce me to Stan Hope. Yeah. Stan Hope saved my fucking life. A really? bunch. Well, he's the one who convinced me to come out of, uh, hiding. Ah. So his show I actually did before Joe's because um, I texted him something very offensive as a thank you for having my back, you know, when all that shit hit the fan. And he was like, dude, you have to be a comic again. And I was like, I don't think I can. He was like, after that joke, yes, you can. And so he brought me as his special uh. guest uh, at the live podcast taping. It was him and Bert and Morgan Murphy uh, at this huge theater at Bill Burr's podcast festival. And so he was the reason I came back. Right. Um, and he, I opened for him when I was like 20. Slept in the same bed with him. No shit. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. He, wow. uh, yeah, he's the best. I can, you should, yeah, I can absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, Casilda and I have a plan in uh, about a month. We're going to drive to New Orleans. Word. And just today I got invited to speak at South by Southwest. So oh, cool. we'll probably do that on the way back. That's smart. And, um, on the on the route i want to stop in bisbee and and meet him and see the town that'd be great yeah i mean do you know jake johansson no i love him though yeah he's great he's a friend of mine oh dope yeah i watched him since i was like a kid yeah he's he's amazing yeah he and i are about the same age so funny he's a pro he was on letterman like 28 times or something that was the first time i saw him was on letterman i was just gonna say that yeah anyway he he and i were talking about stanhope once and he was like dude have you heard his podcast? I said, no. He says, okay. And he sent me the link. And yeah. he's like, you have to listen to this. You'll you'll get this. And it was the cliffhanger episodes. Oh, my God. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things that's just um, unlike anything else. It's, there are two episodes. It's, it's. Stanhope and this couple that were living in the in the house, the guest house, okay. and uh, a buddy, somebody I don't remember the guy's name. And the the story was, or the woman wasn't there. the The boyfriend was there, and they were telling the story about how they all met. And the story was that apparently Stanhope had slept with her on the road, <laughs> like four years before. And then she and her boyfriend moved to Bisbee and they saw him out in a bar one night and went over and she's like, hey, Stanhope, yeah, I met you, you know, at this show in Reno or whatever. And and we fucked. And he's like, don't remember you. Amazing. But they became friends. Yeah. And then they were looking for a place to stay. And he's like, I got this guest house. So they rented the guest house. Oh, and Just to know people like this exist. The four of them became friends with Stanhope's girl. Uh, bingo. Bingo, right. Um, and so the four of them became very good friends. And so you go through this whole episode. And then at the end of the episode, Doug's like, well, I guess we should explain why it's called this cliffhanger episode. <laughs> uh, you know, the woman... She's in the hospital. 
and she's having brain surgery tomorrow and so who knows she might be dead next episode uh you know and what you know what's gonna happen hey wait if your girlfriend dies you know how are you gonna deal with that man and you know and everyone's laughing but they're laughing in a way that's not funny it's to get them their their survival laughing laughing right they're 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 laughing as a way to show they trust each other and they love each other right. and they're going through this thing together right like you and your brothers right yeah and anyway i won't talk more about it but if anyone i've talked about it on the podcast before and i will 100 uh, make that there are two episodes and it's one of the most powerful experiences i've had listening to media well yeah i mean he was the best comic I've ever seen could literally take them would take the most tragic thing that happened in the town we were in on the news and open with a bit about that either as a challenge to himself Mm. or he's also the sweetest guy in the world I mean he Mm. only takes degenerates on the road like he was like he got drunk and was like look just so you know you're not gonna I'm not gonna take you on the road I know you're gonna want to open for me but I have much more fucked up guys that I take on the road. <laughs> they need it more. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm the I'm the good one. You know what I mean? Just yeah. because like I do jujitsu or whatever. I'm like, I was in hiding for a year. Yeah. But he's like so good to his friends. And he flew me down to he was doing me a favor. He was mm. bringing me out of he flew me to Phoenix, mm. like put me up like for two nights. He's just like he's a good guy. He doesn't actually have like a mean bone in his body. Um mm. He's so fucking, he's the funniest person on, on the planet. But yeah, uh, totally. Uh, yeah, Moshe, I think it's just fucking incredible. Uh, before you run out of time, I always hear you being very nice to your guests and being like, oh, I know you got to get out of here. I like that you haven't done that with me because you're like, you have nowhere to go. You sleep on a couch <laughs> and people think you're a predator. Um <laughs> I wanted to don't ask. Don't get too comfortable on that couch there, Jamie. I know. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more comfortable <laughs> it's a than mine. couch. Uh, we're in nature. Uh, right now, I'm in Studio City. So, and, 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 and this is probably, I, I want to make the cliche questions you get not cliche, but it's literally because I, as Jamie, am so curious about it. Not like, I'm not in book tour mode, but like. Do you want to, do you think that there is, do you think it is possible to have, I mean, of course you do, but, or what the key components would be to having a healthy monogamous relationship? Or do you think that adding, um, an open, more honest component to it is kind of like, you know, more sustainable, I guess. And, and and again, I know you've gotten so many iterations of this question since writing that book, but like, this is literally like for Jamie, because I don't want the next girl I fucking meet to be like, I love you. We have to jump into a relationship. And then the same garbage happens. But I think I'm also afraid to, um, because of what happened before when I was like sleeping around or tried an open relationship, albeit a very unhealthy one. Um, I think I'm almost like, yeah, nervous for that too. I I generally find that the answer resides in the question. So, you know, let's look at how you framed that question. You said, um, if I remember correctly, is like, um, you know, can you describe what a, a healthy monogamous relationship would be? Or do you think... 
um, it would it's always better to introduce um, a more honest non monogamous um, yeah. element to it. I really did subconsciously lead that question. <laughs> yeah. So for you, it sounds like what you're saying is it can be monogamous with a lie or non monogamous without the lie. Yeah. So if that's the case, and I don't know if it is, but if that's the case, see, I, I don't think a monogamous relationship is superior or, or inferior to a non-monogamous relationship. Yeah, I've heard you say that before, even though you kind of got labeled the other way. Yeah, people do that. But I mean, and also, you know, Casilda and I don't talk openly about the nature of our relationship sure. because one of the reasons is because you, you know, you end up being an advocate for something and then you're stuck with it. And the fact is we've been together so long that we've had five or 10 relationships Sure, and they're all different. And so four years ago, if you heard me say, Oh, you know, we're in this kind of relationship. Well, that might not be true anymore. And now what you're, you're a, you know, flip flopper. No, I'm a fucking human being who grows and changes. Yeah. How flip flopping got turned into a negative where it's like, you mean evolving? You mean growing? That's fucking good. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, what I, what I tell people is, is, you know, find your non-negotiables and then don't negotiate. Right. And so, if you, you know, look into your your heart and, you know, in, in the middle of the night when you're being honest with yourself and you say, you know, being with one woman and never taking the possibility of having sexual friendships with other women off the table would fucking kill me. Yeah. Then you got to cop to that and, and you got to be authentic about it. On the other hand, if you meet a woman and you're like, you know what, I don't. I don't really feel that need anymore. I mean, I was listening to a guy talking about this where he was, you know, he met a woman and he was like, suddenly other women's beauty didn't involve me the way it used to. Yeah. It was like, look at those beautiful mountains, but I had no desire to hike in them or own them. You know, (sighs) that dude, that's how I felt with my last girlfriend where she was just so gorgeous and I was, sh- and in the beginning of the relationship, she goes, uh, just, just, so you know, I'm kind of jealous. That's like my bet, my, my downfall. And I was just like, fucking, you got nothing to worry about with me. Like Jesus Christ. Like you're so above my, out of my league. I was like, this is, you're fine. And it got so unhealthy and so toxic when there was nothing mm. to be jealous about. Um, oh, she's that jealous. Yeah, oh yeah. Like we, uh, here's something that happened. Uh, we fucked. I left for an hour uh, to do an interview. I came back. We started fucking around again. She goes down on me, forgets we had sex. Oh, no. Got <laughs> jealous of her pussy. own pussy. <laughs> Got jealous of her own pussy, buddy. Oh, uh, dude. I hope that's in your act. That's a really uh, good. Dude, it's so weird. I'm like, I don't know how to punch it up. I don't know where to put a joke in. That's literally what happened. <laughs> um, and it was stuff like that. And she knew it. And, 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 and I wanted to fucking fix her. And, uh, you know, it just didn't work. But... I really felt that way with her. I was just like, yeah, I didn't check out other girls. I was just like, I have it. But as the relationship got more and more, un, you know, unhealthy, because I think a lot of people too start off uh, wanting that and thinking they can do that. And, you know, I mean, God, every relationship you start and you're fucking like five times a day and you're like, I guess this is what we're going to do forever. Mm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, right. so like right now, I'm like, if you gave me non-jealous her 
and I could actually have a like a real wedding for the first time. And I mean, there's part of me that I fucking fantasize about normalcy, yeah. whatever that is, even though knowing that doesn't work either. Um, and then, yeah, so there is part of me that like I do sort of fantasize about that monogamous great life. It's just is that even is that possible? Does that last? Um, Jake has a good thing about this in one of his. I don't know if it was on a DVD I saw or, or I saw him do it live, but he was like, he's been married a long time. And he's yeah. like, yeah, the secret is you wake up every morning and you decide not to get divorced. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's the secret. So it's like, what works? What doesn't work? What does it mean to work? You right. know, and there, I remember Margaret Mee, the the great anthropologist was doing an interview and she'd been married like, I think three times at that point. And, um, you know, she wrote about sexuality. She's an amazing woman. Um, and a journalist said to her, well, you've been in three failed marriages now. You know, why do you feel, you know, compelled to write about this stuff? And she said, excuse me, I've been married to three beautiful, wonderful men, all of whom remain very close friends of mine. Mm. None of those was a failed marriage. Right. You know, so how we define these things, I think, is really important. Yeah, it's so true. I like I mine ended pretty fucking bad. Um, And it, you know, it's heartbreaking because it's like. We lived out of our car together and made this like beautiful show. And, uh, there, when all this shit went down, I was just desperately trying to like kind of save a friendship and I get it. Um, but yeah, uh, we're so used to just like being resentful and bitter and, and I'm not allowing myself when all this shit happened to me, I was like, I can either turn into just the most bitter fucking woman hating angry or uh i can move on with my life try to better the things that i need to better um and appreciate what i had because even that that ended so publicly horrifically it was like we taught each other how to be brave it's a big fucking deal like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't trade that um and but you know coming from my last relationship where it's like you're not allowed to talk to exes or you can't text with a girlfriend of yours and you know, that shit's fucking scary. And that's a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah, but see, that's, what's beautiful about find your non-negotiables and don't negotiate. Right. Like I, I got to a point in my life where I thought kind of like you, I thought like, well, this is it. I'm, if I'm true to myself, then nobody's going to want to be with me. Right. (laughs) And, but what am I going to do? Like I, I just gotta, I just gotta pay the price. If that's the price, I'll pay it. Right. And, and I had paid that price earlier in my twenties because I really wanted to travel, and that was the meaning of my life was travel, see the world, yeah. have adventures. And in those days, in my case, you know, like you, I'm not, I don't claim to be a great, you know, handsome lady killer or anything. The way I meet women is they get to know me. And right. that's how it works. And yeah. so if I'm passing through, I'm not I'm not the guy who goes out to a bar and picks up a woman no. and you know Tinder don't work for me. When there was no Tinder. Yeah. See, that's the thing. There was no t- Tinder. It does it 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 uh, it's uh I was like I was like finally I'm single. I can do this and I was like, "Oh, I'm not good at cuz I'm not the guy you see in the picture and you go, right. "Oh." Yeah. I'm like but then it's like, you know, we're now being told that if 
they like you on stage, that's predatory. Right. So like I'm that's like, that's what I do. That's what I do. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that with the whole like power dynamic thing yeah. where it's just like I you can't just fuck CEO. Uh, right now, any woman with a day job is more powerful than me. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And even, or a bed. Or a bed. Yeah. If you have more than a futon or if you have a couch that folds out, mine doesn't even fold out. If you have a couch that folds out, you're fucking taking advantage of me. I'm me tooing you. You are preying on my weakness. Yeah. Um, you want to just give your number so they can call you up and prey dude, on your weakness? We, yeah. Uh, well, no, I can't even, even if you have girls that are listening to the show that are like, ooh, I'd be interested in him. You can't even fucking tweet at me because I have it set on my mentions so I only see people who follow me mm. uh, or no who I follow so mm-hmm. like it's just like the comics I follow and stuff so if you tweeted me I would see it because I follow you but if any of your listeners tweet me I won't because I've gotten so many fucking death threats that I don't want to kill myself death every threats? time oh yeah oh my god so many death threats my career has been see, riddled with death threats yeah, yeah, this this whole like internet thing I, I mean I know it's out there but f- for some reason, it doesn't hit me. Like I don't. I say the. I say really rude shit on social media, and yeah, you're like edgy on the podcast. I think again. They I mean, just Stan don't, Hope said they this. don't bother with no. Me. Stan Hope said this to me, where when I was first going on the podcast, I like reread. I read for the first time, so I didn't read the Jezebel article when it came out. I read it for the first time a year in. Because I'm about to do Doug's podcast. I figured that would lead to me going back on Joe's show. And I was like, I should probably be prepared because they're going to have this article. Right. And I have spent the year making amends with being a shitty person in a lot of regards. Being very selfish. Very self-involved. But when it came to these words like abuse and predatory, I was just like, I have Doug and Doug and Doug going from suicidal and self-hating to how can I make myself a better person? And those words aren't there. They're just straight up not there. And I've been as honest with myself and self-critical as I can be. So I sit down and I read this article and I'm terrified and I'm hiding it because I have my jealous girlfriend in the other room. So I'm like sitting on the toilet reading this article for the first time. And I'm like, all right, time to like fess up to what I've done. And that's when I read the article for the first time and I was like, oh my God, this f- isn't even fucking true. Most of it. Right. Or it's, it's worded in such a, like, I'll tell you off air, but like, it's insane. Um, and so I called Doug and I go, man, I know like part of coming back for these redemption stories are you apologize for the thing you're accused of. And I go, man, I'm like reading this article and I'm like, I didn't fucking do anything. And I'm the first one to apologize when I fuck up. And Doug goes, oh, no one thinks you're a fucking predator. No comic thinks you're a predator. He goes, we think you're a fucking douchebag. He's like, that's what you're apologizing for. He's like, you're not apologizing for that shit. And I was like, oh, right. I can do that. I can apologize for being a douchebag. And I think that goes with you where it's like you've never claimed to be anything you're not. Hmm. Um, and I didn't think I was either, but you know, I guess in the world, in the sort of feminist world I was in and I didn't even, you know, no, I, I guess I was, but I think that's why I think, I mean, God, look at these comics, right? 
all of our favorite comics have talked about things infinitely worse than I was accused of on stage to laughs. And that same stuff brought me crumbling down. Right. right? Like remember Patrice O'Neill? Yeah. Well, oh, you know, or like Jim Norton or like all those guys, um, Bill Burr with like screaming at his wife. Is, is, is he confessing to mental abuse? Like, no, um, these are decent, honest people. And we all do these things. I think it's when you hold yourself up to this ridiculous standard of yeah. purity, right. um, which I, again, I never thought I was doing because I was so open about my depression and substance issues and being a fuck up. I was so open about all that stuff that I kind of, you know, I never saw myself as like a, a fucking Ted Haggard or Jimmy Swaggart or any of those fucking guys. Right. Um, so what were you guilty of certainty? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you were attacking on Twitter, see, it's, oh, yes. it's, certainty. it yeah. seems to in me regards like, of what you were talking about before. Yeah. A hundred percent. It was just, and I will raise that uh, to ill-informed certainty. Right. There are... All certainty is ill-informed. That's true. There were people who... So two examples. I don't know why I always remember this. Fareed Zakaria. I'm certain of that. Uh, Yeah. uh, Fareed Zakaria and Jonathan Chait. I couldn't tell you anything about these guys. I can tell you... I think Jonathan Chait's written about... Uh, college campus censorship and Fareed's on CNN and uh, Michael Moore. He w- he was wrong in that Michael Moore health care thing. But I don't really know about Fareed's foreign policy. There are a bunch of famous people like that that our version of the left, just anytime they said something, we hated them. And I honestly couldn't tell you why. On uh, There could be reasons. I, I'm not using them as an example. Like There absolutely could be reasons. But you just get in this sort of rhythm of, you know, my co-host on the show would be like, you know, Fareed Zakaria. And I'm like, yeah, that fucking asshole. I don't know why. Mm. I have no idea. Like, he could be lovely. I don't know. Um, But you sort of just have these names and these talking points and you don't really dig deeper. Yeah. Um, And you're just like, this is the guy we're yelling at today. Right. And then that's what you do. Um, And, you know, social media gives you this bubble where everyone agrees with you and everyone right. is telling you what we're thinking that day. And then you try to come or what I did is I would try to come up with a more clever way to rephrase that. So I would get my retweets yeah. and then I get my retweets and I would feel righteous, even though I'm only doing it for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing it cause I believe these things. I believe black lives matter, but I also shouldn't be sitting there refreshing my black lives matter tweet to right. see a fucking Chrissy Teigen favorited it. So it's another form of substance abuse, really. Oh, uh, you literally get a dopamine hit from it. That's right. all I did. Right. I mean, even being back on social media and not engaging as much, I'm still on my phone way more than I was a month ago, which I'm, I'm trying to change. I mean, dude, you put your phone away. If you're tied to your phone, like most of us are, you put your phone away and you look around at like the sky and trees and mountains and shit, you will feel stoned because you're so used to not looking around and just living in this bubble. And then the opposite of that is when you're getting piled on, when people are, going yeah. after you on Twitter, you're choosing to bring that everywhere. Well, so- that that's what I was going to say to you. It's like you 
joined a community, then that community turned on you and you suffered greatly because one of the greatest pains ever is being rejected by a community that you felt you were part of. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's deep evolutionary reasons for that. Yeah. Because if you got kicked out of your hunter-gatherer band, you were as good as dead. Oh, I never even thought of that. I just thought of it as like everyone hates me. But yeah. No, no that social is rejection hurts yeah. really, really hard. Um, but it's a community of dipshits. So it's kind of like, you know, come back to the main pond here and it doesn't, th- this is the thing. See, th- this it's is like a, being kicked out of the tribe that like, just the like tribe the reject of tribe. That like, like, yeah. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> and, and, and it's, see, this is a difference in our ages. I think, you know, that I grew up without social media. And so when I see people, I see these kids killing themselves and I see people getting all upset and all that. It's like, you know what? You put down your phone it disappears. They're literally gone. It. They were never there to begin with. Right. You know. Yeah. It. It's a. It's. It's like. It's like going to horror movies and getting so scared you can't function, but you keep going to the horror. Just stop going to horror movies. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I used to. It was crazy. If I was getting lambasted on Twitter. Suddenly, like, I'm being called a cuck at dinner with my girlfriend, and then I go into the bathroom, and I'm being called, like, a fag, and I'm like, I could just stop. You could just I'm leave them behind. Yeah. Dude, the moment where I, like, realize, like, I have to stop this is I'm fighting with a stranger on Twitter at home, and I have this epiphany, and I go, you know what? Fuck this. I live on this, like, gorgeous park. I'm going to go walk through Prospect Park. I'm going to walk to the water. I'm just going to be with nature. I'm going to listen to music. And l- I don't even remember how I got on my phone again. But I am suddenly walking through the park fighting with a different stranger <laughs> on Twitter. And I was like, I have to get the fuck out. I mean, if yeah. you told me the idea of Facebook before Facebook, if yeah. you were like, hey, man, you want to join a website where the guy who called you a faggot in high school, you can now see that he's doing like better than you. And you can be like see pictures of according, his kids. According to him. Yeah. And yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And be like, oh, look at his beautiful kids. Like, maybe they'll grow up to call me a faggot, too. Like, <laughs> I would have been like, no fucking way do I want a part of that. Yeah. But you get hooked to like, I have to post this picture that makes me look cool. I mean so I just started an Instagram again today because Instagram seems to be where people are the nicest because yeah. they just want to see pictures of cats so like Twitter's where I have my biggest following uh, but I started an Instagram again and I sort of you know uh, I definitely had that moment the other day where I found like an old picture of like me and Robin and I was like oh this will like this will make me look like I'm a valid human you know, like an entertainment person who deserves to have an Instagram. I mean, I missed him and like it was an anniversary picture that came up on Facebook and I wanted to post it, but I would be a liar if I said I also didn't have that sleazy, shitty, demeaning thought about that picture. Um, and I posted it and then like I got likes and I'm like, cool. People will remember that like I was somebody and not just this fucking like leper because like I was friends with this guy and it's like so fucked up. It's like, who gives a shit? Mm. You know what I mean? Like I want to post pictures of like my cats and like get stoned and do dumb Instagram stories. Um, But yeah, it's really, really interesting what it does to you. You know, like I've read studies about people who just judge their lives by other people's Facebooks, but it's like, they're all, these are all very carefully curated. People aren't, posting like, here's the picture of when I got fucking too drunk and, you know, pissed in a dumpster. Uh, Here's me with diarrhea. Yeah, 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 exactly. Here's me getting rejected by this girl who's way out of my league. Like, no, (laughs) we're posting pictures with the hot chicks and we're posting pictures of like being on stage and like shit like that. Um, 
just to put out this sort of appearance to the world, then you connect that shit to Tinder and all that, and it's a whole new fucking layer and you just kind of feel gross and sleazy it's like now we're all doing to each other what fashion models used to do to women yeah you know to normal women right make them all feel inferior mm-hmm. and insufficient and yeah we're now we're all doing it to each other it's and what's ironic crazy. is we're not doing it to be mean we're doing it because we're all insecure yeah those hot chicks are insecure yeah, oh yeah i mean dude i fucking went to a party thing and some girl was like can you take a picture from my Instagram? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she gave me her phone and we were out there for like 10 minutes and like, she didn't move. It was just, she'd move her eyes in different ways. And I was just like, can I go? <laughs> this is fucking terrible. And then like, she'd look at it and she's like, oh, you didn't do it right. I was like, what, what else is there? And like, or, or like you're just on your phone all yeah. day. And it's like, there are real people around you. You could be connecting with. Yeah. Um, but instead, we just have to put out this, like I said, this curated version to a bunch of other people on the Internet because we get that instant feedback and it seems easier. But kids these days, kids, these throw kids. away your fucking phones, throw man. Away. get it's off my bullshit. lawn, throw bullshit. away your phone. I'm, I'm I'm adopting. I think I'm sort of coming into my age in a in a way i think i've always been a grumpy old man and, yeah. and now i'm starting to look like it i think when i was 25 <laughs> people are like dude why are you why are you saying that shit you yeah, know you're too. 25 and i'm like no yeah it's weird physically i was i spoke about this on the podcast recently physically is like there was a period between maybe 28 and 38 or in there late 20s late 30s where i'd look in the mirror and be like yeah that's me yeah, it wasn't me before. Right, right, right. And then, and then it got like, oh, now I look in the mirror. I'm like, who the fuck is that old dude? You oh, know? I got that. So th- there was this period where, age-wise, physiologically, like that's who I am. Yeah. Um, but personality-wise, I've always been like. You know, oh, let's go to Burning. Yeah, fuck Burning Man. Oh, like, dude, dust and cops and like, yeah, yep. You know, I'm. I mean, I've. I went to Burning Man this year actually for the first time. First and only. Yeah. Do you have the same way where I'm like, I will talk about like fucking we got to, you know, get rid of like uh, consumerism and everyone should like live in the woods. And people are like, do you want to go camping? I was like, well, I mean, we can get like a hotel by the woods and then like <laughs> we can walk there from the hotel just because of the fridge and I can like, like go to the bathroom and, yeah. you know, no, uh, no, I'm, I, I like going in the woods. I leave parties at 11. I really do want to start. I feel like this is the year of like woods and mushrooms for me because yeah. I it's very uh, it's it the opposite of your phone. It's real. Yeah. That's it. It's real. Did I hear this in your podcast or maybe someone else's, but you know, uh, as required by law, when I moved to California and all this shit happened, I started meditating and doing yoga and it's almost like health and mindfulness is blowing up in such a way that I do wonder if it's a rebuttal to people just being driven crazy by social media and mm. literally, cause if you brought up meditation 10 years ago, I just assume like Buddhist monks and like did that. You know what I mean? Oh, I've like, been meditating since I was eight. Have you? Yeah, it was part of my Kung Fu classes. That's, see, apparently all these like successful CEOs have been, that's like in Tim Ferriss's book, like the thing that like the most successful people had in common apparently was mindfulness and like journaling. Yeah. Um, but like I never really started doing that. I never started doing that shit till it all came crashing down. And like, yeah, I, I think again, it's a, it's an age thing. Cause I'm old enough that I, I caught the tail end of the sixties 
right? Right. And that, that stuff, sense. the meditating and the you know nature back to the land. That was all like silly to my generation. Right. Yeah. By the time you came, that was all old bullshit. It was just yeah. And now it's coming back, so you're the catching the game. the second wave of right. It. Yeah, dude. I like. I mean, thank God. Like I. Besides just actually having friends in L.A. Uh, instead of New York, moving out here just very much seems like people are searching for joy and health and positivity and nature. Mm. Whereas New York, like I said, it was just how miserable can you be? Um, <laughs> I really got fucking lucky. That gets old. Yeah. No, I'll tell you, I, you know, I lived in Spain most of my life and I've been here about a year and a half now. And I always hated LA because I, I have relatives here. I used to come visit when oh, I was a right, kid. Right. Always hated it the strivers and the, you know, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, you know, yeah. all that shit. Um, but I, I really like it now. Yeah, man. I mean, I like, I think LA's changed and, um, my approach to it is different. Um, because of the book and, you right. know, like I get to hang out with people like you and Rogan and Duncan and, yeah. you know, um, I lived in Moby's pool Moby. house for the first month I was here. Did you? Yeah. Does he still live at that place? I thought he sold that place up in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, he did. Then he moved to a place by Griffith park, which he just sold, but that's where uh, I was in the Griffith park place. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but yeah, my first LA day was like a Republic. It was literally the most cliche LA. I landed in LAX. I took an Uber to go buy a Prius. I drove that Prius to go get <laughs> vegan food. I got vegan food and went to Moby's Pool House. Holy shit, yeah, man. That's like as LA as you can get. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I was coming to LA uh, and Neil Strauss, yep. who I had not met in person. I'd Skype. He, he interviewed me for The Truth. Right. Uh Cut oh, are you in that book? I'm not in it. He cut me out. Ah, boo. And he said, but he said, he said he'd show me what he'd written at some point. Yeah. Uh, I might be happy that he cut me out. I'm not sure. Oh, interesting. We'll see. That's funny. Um, but, uh, you know, like you, I thought, I thought I wasn't going to like the guy. There's a whole backstory about yeah. that, but, um, but I did, I liked him a lot. And so he saw that I was coming to LA on Twitter or whatever, and he was like, hey, are you going to be here Thursday? And I was like, yeah, I'm arriving Thursday morning. He said, well, if you want to come to Moby's birthday party, I, you know, I'm going. So, so I arrived in L.A. here in Topanga. Moby is just the connector of all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he remembers me, if he even knows he met me. But So I'll, I'll, I'll call him after and ask. Yeah, so I came. It was my first day. I dropped my stuff off in, here in Topanga, took a shower, Got back in the car, drove to Moby's place. This is what he lived in Marlon Brando's old house. <laughs> Did he? Oh man, that. there were turrets. It's like a castle. There, oh yeah, there no, were I've heard about that place. Yeah, 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 so that's where I think it they was. called it the castle. Yeah, yeah, right up near the Hollywood sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, and I like had a six pack of beer, and the guy at the door was like, "No, nah, leave that in the car." And I was like, "Oh, cool, it's catered." Because I'm thinking it's going to be hookers and coke and yep, yep. Hollywood, you know. Yeah. And I didn't really, I knew like two Moby songs. I just knew he was like a big DJ yeah, yeah, and yeah. musician. So I'm I'm assuming it's going to be all this Hollywood <laughs> oh, decadence. <you're> <laughs> <laughs> and I walk in and it's like families and yep. dogs yep. and children. Vegan food. There's vegan probably no alcohol because most zero, of them are in recovery. <laughs> zero. Not even a fucking beer at nope, the party. Nope. I'm like, uh, all right. So this is Hollywood, huh? Dude, my ex who would get jealous of everything, I would go to Moby's to meditate every week. He had like a group of us. 
And she just like thought it was this fucking, yeah, like coke fueled <laughs> sex party. I mean, there was part of me that kind of like the first time I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to a pool party at Moby's. And yeah. Like, here we go. And yeah, same fucking deal. No, you walk in, we're literally like talking about our failed relationships. Then we meditate. Yeah. Then we like eat a vegan pizza. Uh, <laughs> and we're like, ah, that Trump guy. And then we leave. <laughs> you yeah. Know, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's the best. Uh, but yeah. yeah. I'm yet to be. Uh, I'm yet to go to a sex-filled party. Uh, well, that thing at Moby's was a turning point for me because, and it's sort of a the uh, reflection of what my experience in LA was going to be. Because I remember talking to a guy there, and, and there were some famous people there, you yeah. know, and and um, and I remember talking to this guy, and, and you know, we were talking about how I had been in Spain and you know moved here. I'm American, but I lived in Spain for 25 years. And he was like, so what's, you know, what do you notice? What are the big cultural differences? Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, well, hmm. And I said to him, like, you know, what I would normally say is at a party um, in Spain, no one would ever ask you what you do for a living. That's right. just really cheesy. It's yeah. like asking, you know, so how much money do you have? Right. You know, it's that kind of <laughs> yeah, question, yeah, yeah. you know. And, um, and in America, that's generally the first thing people ask you. But I said, you know, it's funny. I've been here three hours no one has asked me what I do for a living. Yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, in my experience, there, there are basically two L.A.'s. There's the L.A. of the people who come here trying to make it, trying to, they're striving. They're trying to find the connections. And, and those are the people who are just ruthless networkers. Yeah. He said, but here at this party, what you find is, Everybody here has done what they came here to do. And it doesn't mean they're all rich or they're all famous or they're all, but it means like if you wanted to make a movie, you've made a movie. Yeah. If you wanted to write a book, you've written a book, right. you know, doesn't mean you're bestseller or whatever. It's just like, you're not, you've got, you, you got an agent, you got, yeah. you know, you got your friends, you got your connections. And in, in that world, it's considered cheesy to be yeah. trying to network like that. And it's that. also like, you can tell when it's like genuine or disingenuous. Like I get caught if I'm really getting along with someone like I, I kind of, and I've tried not to, cause I know it's a cliche in LA, but I do want to find out if they're in like the creative field, not cause I want to like work with them or I have them introduce me to their manager because, I, but because I'm like, Oh, we probably have a bunch of shit we can talk about. Right. Yeah. Um, but I remember, Oh, and I will say to any of your like listeners who are like, because now you're just taught to network all these YouTube videos. Here's how you network. Here's how you get more yeah. followers. And it's like, you know, it's like the people who they're like, I'm a writer. And it's like, well, what have you written? They're like, well, I haven't written anything, but like, I'm an alcoholic like Hemingway. So like, I'm a writer, right? Um, I feel like people do that the same yeah. on social media. They're like, well, I have a lot of Instagram followers. Bukowski like, style. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, I have a lot of followers. It's like, right, but what do you make? And what I will say with the networking thing is I just had one of the best connections happened to me um not because that famous person saw me or I, it was because i was really nice to a waiter at the comedy store who saw me perform at the bill hicks thing and i wasn't like oh you're a waiter who gives a shit and it turns out he's also a comic and i didn't know that and he was like hey you should meet this friend of mine because i was just fucking nice to a waiter mm. you know and granted now that i'm saying this the way i'm saying waiter sounds very demeaning and derogatory <laughs> but it, it wasn't that Lowly like oh, oh you have nothing to offer me right. because you're whatever i was just like you're a really cool guy 
and we should be friends. Mm. Um, and so like, you never know when that stuff happens where you're just like, just be decent and uh, authentic to people. I did yeah. have the reason I've kind of stopped asking people what they do is I was at a party that was like half famous people, half striving strivers, like you said. And, uh, I'm like in the hot tub and this woman goes, uh, she was from like, I think she was from the East coast too. So I was like, yeah, I'm probably grew up in Jersey. And she was like, you know what? I, she like disguised it. It was so sneaky. She goes, you know, I, one thing I don't like about LA is I, you know, I don't like, uh, you know, the people like care so much about like what you do. And what I was about to say was, so she's like, yeah, like, uh, so, but she asked what I did first. And then she gave her a little speech about how it's so shallow and pretty much what you just said. And, uh, and I was about to bomb with her. I was about to be like, yeah. Um, you know, I noticed ever since I started telling people that I teach martial arts, um, you know, the shallow people have cared a lot less because, you know, I used to be on TV and I used to, but I can really bond with them over like, uh, sports and how it's made me more confident and teaching and all this stuff. So that was my plan. I literally get to the word arts. I was like teaching martial arts and she got up and left. Didn't even make an excuse. <laughs> I like see her eyes start to fucking wander. And I was just like, no fucking way. I look yeah. at my friend who's next to me and I just, I just go, is this, is this fucking happening? Yeah. Like, I don't know, dude. I have no fucking idea. And she literally got out of the hot tub, yeah. left a hot tub. I uh, got out of the hot tub and left. And I was like, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So that's what the cliche looks like. Yeah. Cool. Don't be that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's also been my thing is I've been lucky enough. Like you were, I just kind of like hang out with really talented people. Uh, and they don't need to yeah. do that bullshit. And, and that's not to say that, you know, they're all famous or they're, they're just creative and interesting and, yeah. and yeah. confident. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like, how can I come out of this? The, 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 the worst thing that's ever happened to me and, and actually leave it more confident. And I realized like, even when I was quote unquote successful and quote unquote, not poor, um, I was fucking miserable and I hated myself and it's a very bizarre situation right now to have the least money I've ever had the first time I haven't had my own home the first time I've had a, a day job and actually be the most confident the most clear-headed the most con uh uh like happy yeah. um I'm striving like I want to work and hustle and get the fuck out of this situation sure. you know sure. um and do art again you know once I started doing stand-up again a month ago I definitely am like oh fuck like I'm gonna go hard and and, and do this um, so I haven't lost like drive, but it's not, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it feels, it feels weird and it feels good. I'm very interested to see if it'll, uh, pass over to relationship land, but I was good. I turned down, a, well. I turned down a bunch of like, uh, dates, even though I'm still like in the, you know, whenever I break up with a girl, the first thing is like, I have to fuck someone immediately to like prove to myself that I'm going to be okay. I'm like, I haven't done that. Um, and I like, I feel like pretty good about that. Good. I think that's like a confidence move. Yeah. Cause, cause see the, the problem is, I, I mean, for me, it isn't about monogamy or non-monogamy. It's about, are you, I think it's St. Augustine who's, who's uh, credited with saying love and do as you please. Huh? 
Are you being real? So if you're like fucking someone to prove to yourself that you, da, 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 right. then you're treating her right. like a non-entity. Yep. And so that's bullshit. Yep. And so you're going to end up, you're drinking poison there. Yeah. And you deserve to, right? Whereas if you're having sex with someone that you really like and she's a nice person and you're a nice person and you're being honest with her and you're authentic with her, then it doesn't fucking matter if it turns into a relationship or it doesn't. That's a real connection with a human being. Right. It can be sexual. It cannot be sexual. You're not diminishing yourself. Right. Or her. Right. And that's what matters. The rest of it's all secondary details. So how much do you put on the table or would you, do you think that people should put on the table if let's say you're meeting, let's go cliche. Let's say you're meeting at a fucking hotel bar on a business trip. Um, You know, now we're sort of, I'm not even talking about the me too consent stuff people are talking about now where it's like, can I touch your breast now? Can I do this? Uh, I usually let them make uh, the first move just because I fucking hate myself and I'm like, not gonna don't want to get rejected. But like when it comes to that, like, what do we want out of this? Um, now that it's seeming to bite more people in the ass the next morning, um, whether it's, just let's say, um, uh, what's the word? Like intentions, you know, I wanted to have a one night stand. You thought it was a really like, how do you sort of figure that out without losing that spontaneity? Or is it just, I'm so used to what happened to me that like, we live in a world where like, there are fucking girls that want to have fucking one night stands too and fuck. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like how well, yeah. see, you're talking about Aziz and, and, you know, his scenario, which I think you're probably right. Like he meets a lot of women. They want to fuck him because he's Aziz. Right. And he and he's got a thing to take him to dinner at the place across yeah. the street. Yep. He probably bum, knows bum, the bum, waiter and then back to my place. But, you know, you're being a decent person along the way. And so how many women have had that experience with him who have not complained and felt abused by it? Yeah, because that's what they wanted, too. Because that's exactly what they wanted. It's like, holy shit, that's so cool. Aziz wants to fuck me. Like, great. And it's like, so there's two sides of it, right? And I feel like both sides aren't communicating to each other. The one side... the, the, The feminist side should be... And not even feminist, just the decent side is like... A girl is also allowed to change her mind. You could be fucking about the come inside a girl and she could be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And like, you stop. And it's not right. But at the same time, it's like, it's also okay to be like, yeah, there are a lot of chicks who want to fuck powerful dudes or who want to fuck like famous dudes and they get what they want and fucking he got what he wanted. Right. And like, okay, that's fine too. So like this girl, you can change your mind, but not a week later. That's where it gets like, that's where it gets scary and hard. Yeah. And another reason that I'm just like, oh God, I don't want to fuck anybody. Um, <laughs> because yeah, like yeah. that was a, she pursued, I mean, didn't she pursue it when like she had a, yeah. she had a date there yeah. Yeah. and like, and I'm not trying to look if she was scarred, like I'm not trying to make light of it, but like, uh, also how come her name is not being used? If I mean, I don't think you have the right to anonymously accuse someone of things. Well, and especially, and this is where it goes to your vengeance point, where now it just seems like people are just digging to take down people. Yeah. And it's just like, what X hurt me? Yeah. What? Uh, well, I tweeted, you know, I said, uh, and this is one of the things I expected to get harassed about. And nope, there was not a mention. Uh, 
f- famous women aren't always great in bed. Right. Sometimes guys fuck famous women and come away feeling used and not really pleased by yeah. it. And to complain about that to a magazine, a guy would be a fucking cad. Oh yeah, dude. This uh, yeah, this super uh, this this older woman once I did a show. She wasn't drinking, and she got me fucking hammered. And she was, uh, you know, not the most attractive uh, woman I've slept with. And I was like pretty much blackout. And I remember like having like sex, and then she left and I fucking threw up and the next morning was so bad. I like quit drinking. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, again, it is different, right? Cause like we don't get harassed every day and yeah. like, there's not this, um, you know, I can walk to my car at night without fear that I'm going to get raped. Right. Like women have to go through like awful things, but also, I sort of think it's a feminist stance to be like, hey, I also think like you're strong enough and powerful enough to like be somewhere you want to be if you're not taken there against your will and to leave if you want to leave um, as well. And I think it's kind of anti-feminist to be like, oh, the weak, feeble lady couldn't like tell Aziz to go fuck himself and like bounce. Would have been cool if Aziz cut it like like I said, a little short. I would have cut. I would have called that cab. One no, you know, he, one no He in. paid for her Uber and he paid for dinner. He did. <laughs> I mean, come on. He did. I, I mean, I, you know, you're asking like what, what I would do and all that. Like I've become an, more of an asshole. Yeah. But it's, it's a self, I think it's a self-protective assholery in the sense that like I, I just don't fucking negotiate. It's like, this is who I am. Yeah. This is the deal. And if you're not into it, take off because so you don't I'm have busy. to use you for an example because i know you don't talk about your stuff but yeah. like what is a hypothetical of that look like what is you well i mean in, in, a, a girl in, in, that, in that situation i think w- the mistake aziz made if i you know based on our very you know fragmented vision of what happened the woodward and bernstein duo of anonymous and babe.com <laughs> exactly <laughs> um is that he was too nice and that he and and as you were pointing out, he he wanted to get laid. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Right, I don't want to have bad sex. Right, I don't want to have sex with someone who isn't really into being with me. Or you don't want to like yeah, like talk to you the next morning. Right, or, yeah. And so I think that's where he made a mistake, and I think that's a that's a mistake of self knowledge. So you think that, that Aziz is in a position? Aziz can be having sex with beautiful, friendly, smart cool women who really want to be with him yeah every night of his life yeah he's that smart he's that cool he's that well known right Right. so he does not need to make the the tiger woods mistake of being untrue to himself and that's where he made a mistake that's interesting because when he sensed that okay she gave me a blowjob kind of but she's not really into this or this this chick's kind of unstable there's some conflict going on inner right. conflict with her she doesn't know what she wants she doesn't really know what she's doing she probably just wants to hang with me to meet other famous people she's excited by the scene the culture, but she's yeah. not really that into me um yeah hey sorry i'm busy I, i'm not feeling well you gotta leave those are the times that i when i was saying yeah now that i think about it when i was saying you know that i've talked women out of having sex with me yeah it was a lot of those it was like 
I would be in bed with a girl who I genuinely liked, and she would be like, "I don't know if I, I have a boyfriend." And I was just like, "If you yeah. you shouldn't, then do I'm out of here. You yeah. can go." And that wasn't me being an asshole; it was me actually trying to be decent. Um, yeah, totally. But see, I look at and I've, I've but you would have probably sensed that before you even went up to the apartment, right? right. At dinner, I mean, right. come on, you can tell at dinner if somebody's got their shit together, what they're. You know what? What are they into here? Are they yeah. into me because I'm famous? Or are they are they laughing at the right points? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I I I look at Aziz, or I I mean Tiger Woods is an amazing example. There's a guy who had no need to to humiliate himself. He had no need to negotiate. What happened again? Because I've oh, heard he you married, say him as an example. He married this woman, yeah. and and apparently agreed with her that he was going to be monogamous and so he was running around fucking everyone because he needed to be fucking everyone because that's who he is and he got busted and it you know then his career his golf game fell apart right right because he wasn't getting that pussy therapy (laughs) he lost his swing and uh you know all because he lied Right. He, he didn't need to lie. Right. There's a dude who was in a position where he... So that's why I say, no, find, you're right, find we, your we non-negotiables. We have these athletes we like idolize who are known as like these like womanizing dudes. Not even womanizing, but like they date a lot or they're always dating different models and we're not judging them. Right? Mm-hmm. So he could be that guy. He could just... yeah, And he doesn't even need to be public about it, but yeah. he does not need to marry someone and make promises that he knows he's not going to keep. Dude, someone else you interviewed, I have such a man crush on that dude, Chris D'Elia, who I'm sure on Twitter at some point I called a sexist back in my day. <laughs> uh, I saw him at the comedy store for the first time. I was uh-huh. there watching another friend of mine. Um, and he walked by... And uh, I just saw him like go up to this girl like, hey, I'm Chris. And I was just like, that is the sexiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Just to have that confidence. Yeah. Just to walk and just pay hey, him, Chris. And like, listen to my uncle. Walking. Listen to the thing with my uncle. Yeah, I'm so he, excited for his, that. His thing. And I said to him, like, what's your technique? He's like, dude, there's no technique. He said, I see a woman at a party or whatever. First of all, don't wait. Because if you wait, then they know you're you're looking at them and you're thinking, and right. then you're making them. And then you start to second guess yourself right. too. So you come up like a little more like right, like and it's fidgety. not natural. So he said, "I see someone. I walk across the room. I hold out my hand. I say, hi, 'Hi, I'm Dan. You look like someone I'd like to know.' Jesus, and that's it. And she's like, "Oh, yeah, my husband's just over there getting a drink. Like, oh, good. I want to meet your husband too. Oh, hey, how are you? I'm Dan. It's like." No problem. Right. No problem. What's the problem? What's so funny is, if you recall, that was the second accuser, quote unquote, uh, of mine, where it was like, but I think just being out of that world, I think the more I hang out with normal people, like I've said this to people. You got kicked out of a group of idiots, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that's what I have to remember because I'm like, that's what got me in trouble Um, because I've said to a bunch of like Famouses. Oh, sorry. Idiot. I shouldn't have said idiot. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's ableist. Uh, the word is cunt. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, the, uh, I've said to a bunch of people, especially coming from where I came and now we have the Trump administration, that it's like, it's kind of weird. I don't know if anyone wants to see like, Jamie Kilstein's back during Trump and he's going to talk about nuance and moderation. <laughs> um, and all of them have been like, uh, no, that actually is like yeah. the ballsy thing to talk about right now. Yeah. Um, and I sort of feel the same way with dating where it's like, well, I'm scared to do all of these things because I'm not around. I haven't been around the majority of average people. Mm. I've been around this subsect where, um, 
you know, what happened to me happened to me. And, um, you know, they do want to talk about moderation and nuance and, and, and shit like that. And, dude, I don't know. My family is so liberal. Um, my dad used to be the director of uh, Medicaid. Um, my, my brother uh, was like this. Brother and sister, like, taught, like, poor kids for free. My brother created, like, the first mixed martial arts program for, like, kids in India. Uh, you know, my other brother uh, is re- working on all these progressive campaigns. And, like, they're amazing. And straight up, like, progressive Democrats. And once all this stuff stopped, my other brother was a journalist for a while. Um, once all this stopped, they were like, yeah, dude, you know we fucking hated. Like, we all, like, muted you on Facebook. And, like, <laughs> even for shit they, like, agreed with. Yeah. Um, they hate. And I thought I was normal progressive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that part of it. I thought that was, like, the left. And I'm like, no. I think the majority of people, like, are willing to have conversations. Uh, Want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can say no and can yeah. say I'm sorry. Right. And, be okay with that be be recognized be real yeah i gotta have the balls to unfollow all these people on twitter because uh, i'm still kind of seeing it so much so it's still mm. like that kind of like my world well that, you know? that's the beauty of social media you can choose your world you know like i was saying before you can you can p- turn it off i've muted people i, I didn't think oh. about that but i've muted Mute people who are assholes i just like boop, mute. Mute's the best forget about it they're well, gone even like you know i've been following you for like a couple months and even seeing your stuff in my feed it like almost normalizes it in a weird way where like you know yeah it's just really interesting to see different points of views pop up mm. Because you can be intelligent enough to be like, that's trash. Yeah. That I like that. I'm going to read this. Um, but yeah, man, when you're in your own bubble, you just get lazy. And I mean, you just start retweeting stuff that you haven't read. Right. Because you're like, oh, well, that's the guy I agree with. And right. he says the things. So, you know, boop. I got to take a shower. Yeah, man. Uh, welcome back from the edge. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Um, can all your cool fans follow me on social media? Because... I'm uh I'm losing people like flies. <laughs> yeah, you're uh you you've been robbed of shit that wasn't really yours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Good. a great way to put it. Good. Good um, for you. And any who of wants m- to carry that shit around. No, and any of my listeners uh listening to this uh that Chris that Ryan. Chris Ryan, right? Yeah, that Chris Ryan. It was Chris Ryan, PhD, but then Duncan Trussell started giving me a lot of shit. Other people were giving me shit. What did he? What did he change his name to? Well, now he's Duncan Trussell, MD. He was PhD (laughs) for a long time just to fuck with me, but then he moved on. Now he's MD. Dude, I never listened to him until I saw you and him together and Rogan, and like I'm obsessed with his podcast. Yeah, all the like. Did you hear the one? Like, (laughs) so interesting. Well, you might be interested in the one he just posted last most recently it was him and me and uh oh it's great oh, oh you heard that jealousy. one oh jealousy yeah yeah so good you know what's interesting he goes deep i used to be i did used to be really jealous i was talking about my ex-girlfriend not to the point of her but i i did used to be like oh i don't want you talking to like exes and like um uh i would get really nervous and i would like you know, be that gross kind of like ask about the past and and stuff like that. Uh, I totally used to do that. And what's so interesting is actually, again, talking about like getting good out of the relationship. I mean, I loved my ex and really am bummed out that 
she has that issue that is so toxic um, and my past doesn't match well with it. Mm. Not to pin it all on her. Like, you know, your issues, jealousy and insecurity and your boyfriend is the guy whose like sex life has been written about. Like that's trigger the shit out of you. Um, but she was great. But one of the things I really got out of it is that jealousy button seeing it on, cause I've never had a jealous girlfriend before. Mm. Um, feeling it the other side of that and like having someone check my phone for the first time um and having to like change my password and getting nervous if my texting went off when i know like i literally only text like dudes um i was like that's gone like i am never gonna mm-hmm. be that like feeling it in a weird Being way on the other side completely it. shut it like yeah. done completely yeah. shut it down um oh anyway so for your people uh my podcast is called fuck up pod uh, with Jamie Kilstein. I'm going to talk a lot about this and depression, but also uh, interview people uh, like Chris and, uh, you know, Stan Hope's going to do it. Moby's going to do it. Kat Von D's going to do it. Like cool people. And I really do want to fo- focus on just like being vulnerable and our fuck ups and, you know, also we'll get talking Moshe. about Get Moshe to do it. I want Moshe to come on my podcast. Oh, dude, both of them I would kill to have on the podcast. And uh, yeah, Twitter is at Jamie Kilstein. Facebook at Facebook.com. Or no, uh, Jamie Kilstein fan page. And the new Instagram, which is brand new. So follow me on there because I don't have many followers. Is just fuck up a pod. I followed you. I saw. You yeah. got to follow me on Twitter where I look cool and I'm verified, though. Oh, I don't follow you on Twitter. Right. But you follow me on Instagram, which right. I technically needed more. I'll, I'll but I thought when you followed me on Instagram, you'd be like, oh, this guy only has like 150 <laughs> followers. <laughs> like, My Twitter's verified. I got the check mark on Twitter. Go oh, to that. Oh, you got a check mark. Uh, oh, Sweet. and uh, Chris's podcast is phenomenal. I've been going back and listening to all these old episodes. Thank so you. go listen to that. Thanks. Well. Cool. All Thanks, right. man. Thanks for being my therapist. Hell yeah. All right, there you go. Therapy with Jamie. That was a long episode, three hours. Damn. Uh, all right, hope you enjoyed that. Check out Jamie Kilstein's podcast, fuckuppod.com. And uh, I don't know, that's it. Let's listen to some Carsey Blanton. Why the fuck not? Because uh, you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say 
day So baby, what's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground